You know what? I'm going to back up and just say I totally support Nancy Pelosi. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Grumpy Old Ben's for Monday, October 12th, 2020. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of Middle America, just outside of Chirac, where the weather is nice, the windows are open, and we're hoping the screens can stop lead. And from America's left coast, where the future is here and I want my money back, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Wait, you paid for this? I, I, I paid for a future. I'm not getting the one I wanted. <laughs> well, you can't always get what you want. The Rolling Stone said that, or maybe it was Brendan Kidwell, a.k.a. Progo, coming to us uh, live from just outside of Gotham City. Yep. I understand I am the substitute for a show prep today. Well, that's what we do sometimes. It's, you know, the Monday shows, yeah. we're, we're evolving as we go, I guess. And uh, Well, I think it makes sense because like, if you're going to spend your weekdays prepping for the Friday show and then you've got all these... Uh, you had a huge number of links on the Friday show in the show notes. Um, but then on the weekend, you just got to like chill out and like, oh, uh, can we get somebody on and uh, we'll just talk to them? I, I spent my Sunday evening marinating my liver with uh, a few friends and totally breaking the, the quarantine rules. So, um, oh, so the, you're, yeah. you're going to be a super spreader. Yeah. The, well, the, <laughs> I, that, that's what that's between me and my cat. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, the, I, I the reason that when Progo was like, "Hey, you you want to be on a you know how do, how do you feel about coming me coming on a show sometime next week?" And I'm like, "Well, I know I've got this event tonight, and I'm probably going to be hungover, so yeah, I'd rather not do prep." Well, probably it, shouldn't mention that. It may not have been the best idea to do a show on Friday and Monday, just because of the fact that there is something that goes on in the news cycle. Which is usually nothing happens over the weekend. A week, well, lots of things happen over the weekend, but they don't get reported on until Monday. Either way, uh, we could do some. I, I think I might want to take myself before. out of the new. I might want to take myself out of the news cycle when the when election day comes around. I'm going to take myself out of the news cycle and stay out for like two months. Well, that'll be about how long it takes for for all of the the mail in ballots to arrive. Yeah. <laughs> I figure it'll take until after inauguration day to get the election actually settled. That's yeah, probably. Going on. Yeah, you, I you mean, listen it's... to my conspiracy theory on the last show about what what I think they're going to why they're planning on doing all the delays with the mail in voting is that they want to make sure that there aren't 270 people voting for Trump before or you know by the time they have to so that the whole yeah. election gets thrown to the house. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. Well, and then you have the whole thing that Nancy Pelosi's doing now with the 25th Amendment. And uh, I think Joe Biden should be the one most worried about yeah. this at this point. Uh, um, well, sorry, I still stand by my prediction. Joe will never be president. No, he did will. Just, briefly. Did you discuss on the show the uh, I, I didn't really talk to anybody else about this very much, but Biden, we spent uh, on, on the. Uh, on the the not woke side of the political spectrum, we spent the last six or nine months uh, being taught by uh, right side media that um, Biden is like he's completely insane. He's, he's like he's, he's 
and he's so senile that like you know he can't even get himself dressed in the morning and uh every time he speaks it's just complete gibberish that's what we learned that's what we knew and we knew that he wasn't public speaking very much and it was like you know we never saw any clips because there was never any material in those clips and then the first debate comes along okay the first debate comes along and he can actually talk and argue and hold his own and i'm like what the hell is this you know it's a uh, animatronics no i don't it's not animatronics not quite yet but i do kind of believe that what you saw going uh, from biden's sleeve was something to do with an iv and (laughs) i do believe that you know he is in need of some pretty severe alzheimer's or dementia medications and if i'm just gonna i'll just say that if if whatever they were doing to him then that that during the debate if they can keep that up for four years oh there's no way (laughs) you know what's that gonna do to him install him until he doesn't you know as long as he doesn't die install him let him burn the economy to the ground let's have fun well the intriguing economy i I think putting putting up somebody with dementia and having them run a presidential race is actually i mean that should be uh against the geneva accords i mean the guy was speaking they were playing clips yesterday on no agenda from him in february and he sounded like a guy like trump does you know like there's a guy i mean sure he's a little pissed off and he's always been the hey man but he was (laughs) able to think on his feet he was able to speak clearly and the fact that after only a matter of months that is gone and we know his history that he's had multiple strokes that he's had multiple operations on his brain that my fear would be and if you know anything about strokes and all this a lot of it is stress related and i don't know what could be more stressful than running to be the president well, of the united states the only thing i can think of is being the president of the united states but yeah, yeah. so clinton I, was in really bad shape after her campaign and she seems much better now yeah i mean it's very stressful you're you're going well this year obviously a little bit different because normally you're going 24 7 you're constantly traveling and that will wear on you especially when you're talking about candidates the age of trump hillary clinton joe biden the uh, you know, there was no doubt that a guy like Obama had an advantage because he was a younger guy, could handle these kind of things better. But Biden, I think the pressure may have finally gotten to him. He may have had another one of these, you know, issues with strokes that finally, uh, you know, there was a there was a reason why he was hiding in the basement for as long as he was. I really mm-hmm. do believe there was a medical yeah. reason for that. Yeah, there was a scary virus out there. Well, yeah, but even though there was a scary virus, we didn't miss a show. So, you you know, Joe Biden could have been on the Internet every day doing videos, but he wasn't. He was gone for quite a bit of time. And we all know how this stuff works, even when you're talking about stuff like I remember with like bin Laden and stuff like that. You Sometimes the video you're seeing today was recorded a year ago, but they could be saying, you know, oh, like I just did the intro for the show with the date, you know, October, what's it, the 12th, 2020. Well, we could be recording the show a year early and just putting that date in there. You know, there's a lot of ways to fudge this stuff. But Biden was completely gone. And that kind of concerned me. I'm still impressed that he managed to perform in the debate for 90 minutes. And and he was even like they were promised they were going to take two uh, two breaks at 30 minutes and 60 minutes. And they just blew right by that. And it never happened. And I assume that it was like 
Well, if Biden gives the signal, then we're going to have a break. And like he if he collapses, <laughs> you know, he, he was like, you know, he, he was doing the whole come on man thing all the way through the show. Well, let me ask you this, Progo. Do you believe that Joe Biden was wearing, uh, you know, an earwig, whatever you want to call it, the little listening device so somebody could be talking to him from off stage during the debate? I don't have an opinion on whether that's true or not. <sighs> the reason I believe it's true is the times he kept looking directly into the camera and speaking to the American people. You know, that's what Joe was saying. Usually when somebody is thinking off the top of their head. Now, if you're talking off of a teleprompter, I get it. You could look straight ahead because you're reading. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yep. But most people, if you're speaking off the cuff, even if you have memorized something, what you want to say, usually, you know, you kind of look up you know, what's it to the left or to the right. When people are trying to gather their thoughts, the whole staring directly into the camera thing gave me that weird vibe that he was just hearing it in his ear and repeating it. Okay, I, I, I think that's possible. And there's no way to know, except for the fact that allegedly it was uh, originally stated that both sides agreed to be checked for listening devices. And yeah. then Biden said, no, no, I don't I don't want to do that. Uh, that part is a little bit sketchy. You think, <laughs> you know, just like, the, know. you know, don't you I think did. that the American voters need to know if you're going to stack the court? And he said, no, they'll know the day after I'm elected. Like, what? What the hell? <clears throat> I, I think it would be really funny if, if the if the device was really simple and it probably would have been if it, if it was used, if the moderator had said, like, you know, um, by the way, let me just pull this out and take a look around the room for a moment and show you on camera what's going on, uh, you know, to some kind of detector device for transmissions. And um, I, I assume if he was wearing an earpiece, it would probably be like receive only. So but it would have to be a transmitter somewhere like close by right are you proposing that they sweep the stage for bugs yeah i i well sweep the sweep the stage for reverse bugs i think if if that was if that was possible and if the moderator did it it would have been hilarious tv i think it would have been great if trump had a little device it's just like here this will detect if you're wearing one it starts walking over to biden and watch him run the other direction like like no paper and and a plastic arrow on a cart piece like a piece of cardboard like an snl skit yes that'd be great yes Oh, Trump the, should have done the that. Best, the, the best devices for for that sort of thing would not be one that just detects whether or not it's there. It'd be the one that makes it, you know, screech really loud feedback or something. Yeah. Well, no, or, it's the one no, that Trump takes could just it make over. That sound with his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> well, you take it over and then you have somebody else telling Biden just to say the craziest stuff possible. <laughs> well, that, that would that happen. Hilarious. Yeah, it may have. <laughs> It may have, but this is why this whole thing going on with Pelosi trying to come up with a new solution. I mean, I guess that's what you'd call it for the 25th Amendment. If there's somebody who's medically unfit to be in office, Pelosi is it. I know. And you know what? Do you think do you think that anyone's scared that Biden is going to uh, assert agency? I don't know. I mean, there's 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 a whole list of things to be worried about with Biden. what do you think Uh, what what are all the reasons why we shouldn't have biden like i i don't know that probably take me an hour to write down a list (laughs) well see we don't have content so that would be helpful but it's yeah we could we just brainstorm on the show why not how to how to keep the public safe how to uh 
you know, but the concept of the 25th Amendment is to have a system in place that if the president is incapacitated. Now, Nancy Pelosi seems to think you could use this for somebody getting a virus. I mean, how far are we falling with this? And the fact that this has been around, I mean, the 25th Amendment, I don't know when it was actually ratified. What is what is the law right now? It just has to do with like if everyone decides or if somebody decides that he's unfit, then we do whatever. Yeah. Now, this, what, this what is it now? And what does Pelosi want to change it to? Because I'm like, well, I'm seeing her uh, talk about this. And, and I mean, I'm seeing uh, headlines and I'm not reading the stories because I don't feel like it. Uh, what does she want to do? Well, now, this the, is mainly just bullcrap, but this is coming from a life hacker article. So you can take it with a little uh, grain of salt. But I believe this is the actual text. Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may be may by law provide transmit to the president pro temp of the Senate and the speaker of the House, their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. The vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president. Now, the part Pelosi's going for is this whole thing about another body. Yeah. And this is what she's trying she's, to make. She's building a a committee, uh, a congressional committee on removing the president. Right. OK, so she's taking a vague specification for like, here are the inputs to the decision. And it's kind of vague. And it's like, I mean, I just heard what you said, and I'm not sure that I could repeat it back perfectly. And she wants to replace that with a committee that has a definition of like where that committee came from. Correct. And and of course, in the process, make yeah. it more political than anything else we've ever had well that and and i think the other thing is normalize the idea that congress you know can take out the president whenever they decide yeah and and keep it fresh in our minds and all that right so she wants to replace the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments with that other such body that congress may provide so she wants basically a group in congress whoever's going to decide what this is this is the start of this that would say okay here's a group that will now be able to do the same thing because otherwise and and it will be called the congressional committee on legal coups right because otherwise the vice president has to be a part of it which is the problem is written i guess because it's the vice president and a majority of those officers um and that is the issue because if the vice president doesn't want to go after the president the other side can't, which makes sense to me because well, they which, lost, which Pence is not going to go after Trump. So right. that's why you think yeah. this is this is pointed right. at Biden because it, Harris if, is a total jackal. Well, it's not go just, after. It's not because the problem is the vice. Sure. Pence won't go after Trump. That's why she wants the body to replace this. So that gets rid of well, the, yeah, the vice but, president uh, having to be a part of it. Building a there's a big difference between building a a congressional committee, which is something that they do every five minutes in Congress and modifying the Constitution. Well, yeah, but they're not modifying the Constitution because the Constitution Constitution left open. Yeah. Or the Constitution says or of such other body as Congress may by law provide. So if Congress comes up with the body, I think the idea uh, was in in the amendment that we have, it was like, you know, okay, his appointed executive officers can decide to remove him or like you know if they're all dead or something um then congress can do this other thing uh but we'd really like to have the people he appointed decide on the matter 
Yes. And so the vice and, president and has to be a part in, of it. The, she's the, filling the, in the, the way planning. that I the way I interpreted it was the vice president has to initiate it and then they can add on either the cabinet or whoever Congress decides. But uh, if you're if you want to interpret it, it's the vice president and the cabinet or whoever. Well, I mean, then, that is um, interesting that, because that's up to the Supreme Court, I guess. But, right. Because you could look at it either way. You're either what you're saying so is you, have to stack you the think court it should first. be the vice president where it says of the vice president and a majority of either of the principal officers or of such body. That either way, you're saying reading that that the vice president would have to be a well, part of I that, read it. which is possible. I, I, the way I read it at first was differently, but you're absolutely right. There's no, there's no easy way to dis, uh, decipher where these things are separated. Sure there is. If 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 you, I mean, if you're planning this coup, you just get the vice president on the board, be like, hey, how would you like to be president without having to be elected? And Kamala Harris would totally jump on that. Yeah. Well, yeah, but then there's yeah. going to be another vice president after him. And who's that going to be? Because then they're doing this to you. That's the the beauty of this. The reality, well, obviously, though, obviously, you know, the reality is, uh, you know, as the Life Hacker article points out, if this were to play out today, Mike Pence and a majority of the cabinet would have to tell Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Grassley that they think the president should be removed. But there is another possibility that such other body under the 25th Amendment, Congress could pass a law creating a commission to evaluate whether the president is indeed able to discharge the powers and office of his duty. See, that I just don't really buy that this would ever get to that point. But this is the same people that that actually impeached the president because Orange Man bad back in January. Yes. But the way this system works is, let's just say, even if they have this other body. And they say the president is incapable. You know how the president gets his power back just by saying they want their power back. So that's that's part of the rule. Uh, It's pretty straightforward. The president just says they're okay now and they can get their body back. Uh, They want their job back. It says then within four days of the president saying that the vice president and the majority of the cabinet can then declare they still believe he's unfit. And then Congress must convene within 48 hours if they're not in session. And then they have 21 days to decide who to believe, but to remove the president. So, from so this is designed for like that. That's designed for like a fever where like the, the president is like really screwed up and like barely even talking. And like he might come out of it and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to be OK. I'm going to be OK, guys. Right. But it, it's not for dementia because we didn't use to elect presidents that were this old. But to remove the president from office. So if this were to go its full course, both houses would have to vote. And a two thirds majority is needed in both to discharge the president from his duties. And that I don't ever see happening with the system that we I, have. I don't see a two thirds majority of anything. No, we're happening in this country now. No, but in, in in the clown world that we're in, don't ever say I think that could never happen. Oh, I believe it could. But I don't think that, the way that the uh, House and Senate is currently set. No. Could it ever? Sure. Mm-hmm. But we'd have to really swing to one side to where two thirds of both the House and the Senate were controlled by the same party. Yeah. But but do you really think that one party or the other isn't going to suddenly arrest 100 legislators? <laughs> OK, so here's a new way to go about it. Ooh, um, ooh I like that idea. Can we just start I, on there, that now? You know, there's historic, historical president a precedent for that. And I just pulled Hitler yeah, into it, the argument. It's called a coup. Yes. In a lot of cuckoo. I'm I'm pushing Hitler back out of the argument. Thank you. Okay. Please do. He can just wait in the wings. But the fact that this is what Nancy Pelosi is concerning herself with 
One, this says two different things to me, actually. One, that she doesn't have enough to do. Well, that she's nuts and she doesn't have a lot to do. But it says to me, if they at this point were believing the polls that Biden is winning this in a landslide, this isn't even on the radar if they believe that. Because why? Trump's going to be out of office before you're going to get all of this stuff together to be done. There's no question about it. This is not going to affect Trump unless he wins. So why is Pelosi doing it? Ask yourself that question. And two, I really do believe this is more of a end run around Joe Biden then to get Kamala Harris into power. And maybe they're the ones that are playing up Joe. Maybe somebody's drugging him. Maybe they're giving him the wrong drugs. Because again, in February, he was talking fine. So maybe the Democrats are the ones that want him to win, but come off more and more feeble and crazy as he goes. So they could go, oh, he won. But you know what? He's got dementia. We just found out. I I thought the only interpretation was that this was plainly about Biden. Probably. Yeah, (laughs) that makes the most sense. It really does. I don't know if Joe realizes that. Or it's plainly about Pelosi and her megalomania. Well, Nancy was the one like it was like four years ago, right? It was during the last presidential election that the pharmacist that deals with the White House and all of the Congress critters that said that there were multiple people that he was filling dementia and uh, Alzheimer's meds for that were in office. (laughs) So um, who are they? I mean, and this is something I understand medical privacy, but do they deserve privacy for this? Should there be an exception? Should we know when somebody like if a Nancy Pelosi or a Joe Biden, somebody that's holding a high office has dementia or Alzheimer's? Don't the people deserve to know that? I think if they can do their job, then they should. But can they? They can't. Well, no, they're obviously not doing their job because instead of, you know, doing useful stuff, Nancy Pelosi is talking about removing a different branch of government. Well, you know what happens to people with dementia or with Alzheimer's. Can you really be counted on 24-7 to do the job they need to do? And I don't think they can, but that's a decision people need to make. Because, again, I'm all for privacy, but I think you give up some of that once you are elected to office. So Darren is saying that we should set up a webcam in the bathroom. Every time the president takes a bath, we we can (laughs) check him out for skin cancer. Takes a bath? I I, I don't want to watch Trump take a bath. (laughs) You kind of do. No, if Melania was elected president, then, I mean, that camera would get a lot. You'd have a lot more paid viewers. I I tell you what, the the libertarian ideal of any government made up of a two-party system like this is uh, the the best possible scenario is deadlock where they're not accomplishing anything because you know, you know what? I'm going to back up and just say I totally support Nancy Pelosi. What? You okay, wait, all I, need sorts to, of- I need to cut that off. That's your that's the cold opener right there. I totally support Nancy Pelosi. That was not sure. faked. That's exactly what you said. It, well, and then I would have continued talking if you hadn't interrupted me. But right. And that would have ruined the whole bit. Yeah. OK, I get. OK, you know what? Fine. We've been Let's told move we're, on. we've been told we're the Laurel and Hardy. But I'll just go ahead and say it. it, it um, Darren and I totally support any uh, additional move and additional rules that will fuck up the government so we can't get anything done. You know, I'm not That's, for people having to take tests to vote, but I am kind of all for them taking tests to uh, be public servants. I, I, I'm all for them doing absolutely fuck all. And that way, you know, no new bad legislation is being passed. So how is Jay Inslee doing your buddy? 
Uh, he's passing bad legislation. <laughs> I can't believe that in Washington. Yeah, it happens. Washington and Washington, D.C., the two biggest cesspools in the United States. I, 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 I try not to pay attention to the, the big Washington, D.C. politics anyway. I don't Thank I, you for that explainer last week about the, the fact that Washington businesses don't pay tax on their expenses. They pay tax on their income and, oh yeah. or, or they're, they're not uh, revenue. And what a, I heard that. I'm reasons. like, how, how the fuck can anybody survive in that? It's the, the left coast. <laughs> um, we, we've been surviving on the wave of, of economic uh, a, a boon, a boom cycle for a while. But every time that things go down, lots and lots of businesses close. And then, you know, the, once you're a mega corporation, Boeing, Microsoft, Amazon, then you just have the the cash associated with it. But it, yeah, it's one of the reasons why Washington is generally considered to be one of the most regressive tax states in the entire country. And there are a lot of people out here who are saying, well, we, you know, the real problem is we don't have an income tax. And there are a lot of people who are like, well, if we just add an income tax, we can fix all the problems. And we're like, okay, except <laughs> that. There's no fucking way anybody, you know, the people in this state have voted down attempts to add an income tax over and over and over again, because we also have the highest sales tax in the entire country. That's how the state is funded is sales tax, which yeah. again, one of those things that, that is completely regressive and, and you know, it, because it, the, the cost of groceries doesn't depend on income. So the, the percentage of your income that goes to uh, groceries are a bad example because they're exempt, but, but the percentage of your income that goes to sales tax is, is a function of your income because you're not, you, you don't pay taxes proportionally. So a lot of people, especially people on the left who are, insist that everything should be fair, uh, are, are always saying, well, we need an income tax because that is fair because it's a percentage of your income instead of a percentage of how much you spend where you know, uh, a poor person would be putting all of their money into living, spending, buying things. Uh, a, a rich person will put it into capital gains or whatever the hell they do. But um, the voters in Washington have shot down the income tax proposals every time it's popped up for one simple reason. Um, uh, we still realize that having no income tax and a sales tax might be bad. The only thing that's going to be worse is having both because then we're California. I mean, we're already kind of being California. Yeah, it, I, I think probably the feeling in the feeling with uh, like, we're never going to vote in an income tax is probably like, <clears throat> like, yeah, other states have an income tax, but if we get an income tax, we're not going to rearrange everything like those other states. And we don't trust that anything is going to be better than it is now. And well, somehow this reminds me of trust the legislature to do the right yeah. thing. No, no, nobody trusts any legislatures anywhere. Yeah. Um, and, in Boston, and nobody is going to nobody's going to vote in the new tax without any kind of guarantee. Like it would take a constitutional amendment of the state constitution in order to bring in an income tax. And the only way that an income tax constitutional amendment is even has a chance of passing is if exactly the same vote also repeals the sales tax entirely. Yeah. And that won't happen. No, nobody is going, you know, even if they're like, okay, well, this reduces the tax. Well, that's fine, but you're just going to ratchet it back up. And at some point we're at 50% tax rate. And well, every time an executive or a legislature says guarantee, then it's, it's always like, 
Well, I guaranteed this one little special case and we actually did something else. Well, and they'll look you straight in the eye and say, or they no, just we're for business. Lie. Or they or they lie like, you know, 2012, yeah. when uh, Jay Inslee was running to become governor the first time, his platform was I will not raise taxes. Well, guess what? He's done 34 <laughs> times in over the course of his eight years in office so far. Does he raise taxes? He, he has over and over and over again every single time. Well, but did he, he, the first time did he say, I, I won't raise your taxes once? Because then <laughs> that's usually the you have to watch out for those kind of words. Just like when you said something the other day and you're like, you know, I've never made one. You know, I haven't made one mistake. I'm like, yes, you've made 20. I mean, you wanted to say something like I've never made any mistakes. But the words politicians, they're kings of this. They know exactly how to say things and then go. No, no, I didn't say that. I said this. And uh, this is what you get. I mean, these states that are so unfriendly to business and then they well, you talked about this on the last show with Boeing and your governor then going, oh, wait, you owe us. Why you can't. Why are you leaving? We've been so good to you. Yeah. You know, I wasn't I wasn't actually going to bring this, but I'll throw I'll throw it in the show notes, uh, a report card of the fiscal policy where they re- they graded on an A to F scale uh, all 50 state governors. Um, this was the Cato Institute. So they care. They're a libertarian group. So they care about, uh, you know, balanced budget and and reducing spending. So obviously, Democrats are going to fare fare worse on this. But um, I'll give you the highlights. The four governors that got an A were uh, Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, Kim Reynolds of Iowa, Pete Ricketts of Nebraska, and Mark Gordon of Wyoming, um, who happened to all be Republicans. No way. Um, the seven governors who received an F, and le- stop me when this list starts to sound kind of familiar, because you've heard these names before on this show. Um, Ralph Northam of Virginia, Andrew Cuomo of New York. Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, Phil Murphy of New Jersey, J.B. Pritzker of Illinois, Kate Brown of Oregon, and Jay fucking Inslee of Washington, who coincidentally on their scale scored dead fucking last. That's that's pretty impressive. But then what you have is Pritzker was Pritzker scored third to last. The only people who were worse than Pritzker were uh, Oregon and Washington. But (laughs) that's uh, I believe it. And here's the issue then where rational thinking people and most of them appear to be on the right side of the aisle at this point the things you see them fighting about like with these coronavirus stimulus bills is the fact that nancy pelosi and the left wants to throw in money for washington and illinois and new york and that's bullshit it really is that everybody else i mean there's no reason why i mean i live in illinois so i mean you know, I get that you know, it would be nice if somebody else bailed us out. But why should somebody in one of these fiscally responsible states who actually gets politicians, they vote in that know how to balance a budget? Why should money come out of their pocket to pay for what these asshats in the other states are doing? Uh, because fairness, <laughs> that's not fairness. That's socialism. <laughs> Uh, and socialism because, is fairness, right? Because population, I don't know, maybe they'll make some argument about uh, uh, there's more people in these big states and therefore we need more of your money or something. But there's know. more people in those states to pay taxes, although they are hemorrhaging. It seems all of these states right now are hemorrhaging people. California, and New York seem to be at the top of the list. 
And you talked about that too. what Portland and uh, I mean, all these big cities that are liberal run, people are going, oh, no, don't want to be a part of this. And this is what happens because all of these places are running at a point to where they can't even pay their bills with the taxes they're getting today. If five or 10 percent of their population or more leaves, you think they can pay their bills? And the the plans of let's do something that looks like defunding the police doesn't help for keeping the population there. Um, remember in, I think it was August, Trump did, did this, like he, he said, I'm going to have people look into this and figure out who we should stop sending federal tax money to because of defunding the police. And then he, he hit New York and probably Washington and, and some other places. Whatever happened with that? Like, how come that isn't like constantly in the news, like kids in cages? Did that happen or was it just a threat or I, I lost track of that story? It's easy to lose track of any story that doesn't make Trump look like a neo-Nazi. Simply. That's, that's Wait, pretty I much it. the kids in cages thing was Obama. Well, yeah, but it wasn't covered under Obama. Oh, right, right. Oops. <laughs> that's, uh, you know. So, it, so Trump said, truth. I'm going to stop giving federal money for these categories for cities that are defunding the police. And I'm, I'm pretty sure New York got, was on the list. And then that was the last that I heard of it. Well, there's no question that uh, the left wants to keep pushing for more federal money to go down into the states when that isn't what the system was supposed to do. I mean, federal money going into states was supposed to be, as far as I understand, with my rudimentary knowledge of this whole thing, is like, you know, if a hurricane hits or something and causes massive amounts of damage, you know, that's kind of your insurance policy. Everybody kind of, you know, bands together and the federal government gives a little bit of help but it was never meant for we have a bunch of crackhead states who overspend and just keep spending and doing the wrong thing over and over again this was never meant for everybody else to bail them out yeah well when it was originally conceived there you know the federal government didn't even have the power to tax they you know any federal budget actually had to come from the state legislatures allocating funds to send to the federal to, to you know for for the the obviously federal things like military, uh, you know, not much else. That that kind of went away, you know, way back in the day when when they decided to uh, institute things like income tax, which is really why the system that we have, which is a federated bunch of states, works well. And this is why people who want to be off the authoritarians want to get rid of it because there's way it's way too hard to get one nefarious thing pushed through when you have to convince 50 different groups to do it. It's mm-hmm. a lot easier when you just need to convince one. We should probably uh, move to a tech story before CSB starts passive aggressively tweeting about it. No, I played some Armin <laughs> before the show. He probably wasn't listening though. I played him some of that boom, 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 boom music that he likes so much. Oh, okay. Oh, so we're, we're I was actually starting to drift off. I feel like we've talked about politics enough. Okay. So I you're am. the tech guy, Progo. You're the one working in tech right now. You're on vacation. Tell us what we should be following right now. Fuck yeah. Vacation. <laughs> uh, what should we be following? Um, I, I can get behind you, vacation. Did you guys talk about that story with, um, and, and I, I have, I, I read the story once and I, I, I mind, but that's okay. Cause we're just, we're winging it today. Um, ESR, uh, uh, shit. I can't even remember his actual name, but he, Yeah, Eric Raymond uh, came out uh, a couple of weeks ago with an essay that probably got him on a bunch of podcasts that said, I believe based on market forces and based on a couple of 
things that Microsoft has done and said that uh, we're probably going to eventually see a Windows kernel replaced with the Linux kernel. And uh, I, I don't know if he presented any, any direct evidence that Microsoft is like planning to go in this direction, but he, he basically argued like they, they probably are and they should. And uh, I'm totally on board with that. I to take the Windows user land stuff, move that over to Linux, and then have um, have Linux-based drivers for hardware and uh, an actual Linux kernel that uses like half the power that Windows kernel uses and uses half the memory that Windows uses. And that really adds up in data centers when you have lots of machines running the same software. Uh, I'm all for that. And I think that it probably will happen eventually, but I've been saying it'll happen for like eight years and it hasn't happened. So I'm not going to put a year on it. Well, well I, I heard that it's a year of Linux on the desktop. <laughs> well, the year of Linux on the desktop was, uh, and you could call that when Chrome OS came out. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Microsoft has been dabbling more and more with Linux. They have the whole thing now where Linux can run under the Windows, you know, operating system, and uh, so it, it's not fully supported for deploying applications. Though it's right, like whenever Microsoft does that kind of thing, it's like. This is for developers who want to write software that's cross-platform for servers. And, uh, you know, you can use it for other things, but it's never going to be like, download a single file, execute this file, and it's installed. Oh, and by the way, that was a Linux program you just installed. Um, that's not going to happen. With Windows as we know it, they're not going to do that. No, but I think it shows they're interested in doing something to merge the two together. Where for a while, Microsoft was kind of like, oh, that was the thing we dare not speak of was Linux. And they're kind of moving, at least in a public facing way, I think, to kind of ease a transition into something. It may not be soon or they may just be testing the waters, but I think it was some a pretty big deal that they have embraced some of the Linux stuff. I'm skeptical. Yeah. That's nothing and, new. And and as a developer, I would be really happy about that Windows uh, subsystem for Linux or windows services for linux whatever wsl is i'd be really happy about that except i'm running a i'm running the the windows build uh windows 10 uh on my uh employer's laptop just before windows wsl was like really launched and ready to install so i can't get wsl and my system has so many bugs this this build of windows is a fucking piece of shit and i am so frustrated all the time that like if i was if i had built this thing myself even if i had chosen windows it would be so much better than this piece of crap my employer gives me and does not allow me to upgrade yeah so the <laughs> linux apps running natively on windows i can see that happening the 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 wsl layer is uh i mean it's a, a an nt subsystem which windows nt was designed with the idea that you can just plug subsystems in and out to to give it a different API layer because the, the kernel level APIs are distinct from the OS level APIs. Um, so getting things like native apps running, um, totally see that happening. And it kind of already is, uh, but it, is Microsoft going to like support that as like, Oh, you want to install a desktop Linux application? Just, you know, turn this switch on and you're ready to go for like normal users. I think that's possible. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, it's I definitely think that could possible. Happen. Yeah. Well, is that just you know, because the, the question of whether they're going to scrap the NT kernel 
and replace it with the Linux kernel? I doubt it. I mean, it could happen in the future. The the Balmer era Microsoft, the Microsoft I knew would never even remotely entertain that. In fact, you'd be drummed out of the building. Um, Nadella that was the has, one where like free software is a cancer, right? Oh, uh, well, um, I mean, yeah, that's the really old Microsoft. But even the one that I was there for, which was, uh, you know, I, I left uh, like a year into Windows 10. Um, it, it's yeah. I don't. I still don't think it's going to happen. I mean, the the Nadella era where uh, you know all of your sacred cows are now you know making great hamburger. Um, maybe it it, it could be you know, if the NT kernel was ever switched out for the Linux kernel entirely, you wouldn't know. And the reason is that uh, all of the layers on top of it. Uh, it, it's pretty obvious there are, you know, they've already got the subsystem for Linux. They've already got the, the stuff. Um, if the kernel ever changed, um, it would be, they would first introduce some kind of new edition that runs exactly the same thing. Cause it has the same subsystem, but maybe something changed under the hood and you really wouldn't know it unless you're writing a driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, a lot of expertise in the NT kernel, and there are things that NT still does better than Linux. Uh, for example, um, I, I think the audio system is better. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we're not you know, all the podcasters are, are using Macs and Windows and not necessarily going on Linux for their you know fantastic microphones. Essentially, I have no evidence to show that uh, audio and video live production on a Linux machine is a great idea. I have. I've never seen anything to demonstrate that. No, not yet. There's no question about it. For people who have no idea what a kernel is, I know there's people that when you look to get into Linux for the first time, there's a bunch of different people that put out what they call the distributions. And those distributions could be using different Linux kernels. We're talking here about the Windows kernel. What is a kernel broken down to the easiest possible explanation? Uh, It is the... The bit of code that interfaces between the hardware and the, the operating system. You know what? If First of all, if somebody's listening to this and they don't know what a kernel is, then they know how to look it up. We, we have experts <laughs> listening to this show. But the you're kernel, the expert. Come on. You're the, the kernel, guy. The kernel is the program that is in charge of all the other programs and can actually, yeah. in, in the case of modern computing, the, the, the kernel can actually assert uh ownership and uh force actions on all the other programs that are subservient to it and that way ever, ever since <laughs> we've had kernels that can like actually a slave master it is but ever since ever since we've had kernels that can actually protect themselves in that way you don't have the case where like your browser did something stupid and now your start menu doesn't work so when windows decides they want to put in the feature that like you said they can run a linux program natively is that just because the linux kernels are so much more compact that they can just run in concert with the windows and they kind of hand it off that way Um, and i'm guessing it's way harder to go the other route which is to make all windows programs that are currently out there run on a linux kernel well who's asking for that well a small number of people you just described on wine wine. yeah a small number Uh, of people have been working on wine without documentation for like you know 20 25 years i think a long time anyway and uh a lot of programs run on wine the windows programs run on wine on a linux machine or uh, i think it supports other os's too 
And uh, if Microsoft put some effort into that and like hired people, if I, I think the most common, I mean, the most likely thing would be like Microsoft would buy out the wine team and say, or whoever wants to go on, whoever wants to jump ship and join Microsoft, we're going to give you all the documentation we have. We're going to give you the source code and we want you to make a layer to make uh, Windows programs run on Linux. I think that would probably take a couple of years to to get it to like almost everything almost just about works. But now would that be the roadmap if these two were going to get down and just to one kernel that can satisfy them all? Is that the roadmap? Is that even something anybody wants? I, well, I don't know. But if you're saying it's going to replace the Windows kernel with a Linux kernel, that is kind of what you're talking about, because you need to make yeah. the other software compatible. So, I mean, I think that is what we're talking about, right? I, I think, well, I I think can, far more far more likely is that we'll just keep adding abstraction layers until it doesn't matter what kernels being run underneath. Yeah, it's going to be like the Intel CPUs where, like you, we talked about this before, uh, you don't run an Intel CPU program on an Intel CPU. You're running you're running the Intel CPU style pro- machine language on an interpreter inside of your CPU, which is actually yeah. running the real machine code. Um, we could end up with a, a something like that in the in the machine code space for like you know you 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 see that you're running on Windows, but you're not actually running on Windows. There's no Windows. Well, in, um, I mean, what you see is you see that you're running on the Win32 API. Or yeah. you're you're running on the POSIX API, or you're running on the you know the, the whatever custom version. Yeah. That that's really the only right, thing as- that the that a program cares about is uh, what APIs do I use to get access to operating system services and to hardware. As far as is there any call for this? Is there any call for servers and desktop computers and laptops get that do do not have a Windows kernel and run Windows programs? And they're supported by the vendor in that way that they it's just a, a a Linux kernel with Windows layer on top of it. Is there a call for it? I think there is some, and it, there are obvious uh, points where Windows has completely failed. With like, uh, I have an HP Stream netbook, which I love to harp on how awesome it is. I paid two hundred forty dollars for it. It has thirty two gigabytes of storage, four gigabytes of RAM. And it came with Windows 8 or Windows 10 installed on it, and it was absolutely useless. And I knew that the first thing I was going to do was install Linux on it. I was pretty sure it was going to work. And I've been using it in that way ever since. I, I got it like three years ago, I think. And it runs Linux perfectly. There is no problem. The only problem is the fucking web pages that put so much code into your browser that it doesn't know what to do with itself when the browser is literally running on like five watts of power. Um, but if, if any program that I choose to put on this computer runs perfectly fine. And, uh, this, this computer cannot run windows because windows has not built windows has not made a build that fits in 32 gigabytes of storage since like, uh, windows seven. Well, yeah. Why would they? They're lazy. They can do anything, but which kernel will get the NVIDIA drivers not to suck. That's what I want. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, that's uh, I, I was kind of happy to hear that uh, Ryan's better half had NVIDIA drivers causing problems. It seems to be the year. I mean, I, I used to wonder exactly what everybody was bitching about because I haven't had computer issues in years and years and years. And all of a sudden with a, you know, pre-built Dell machine, 
which was pretty vanilla overall having the the blue screens was uh it was kind of a throwback so i mean i guess it was kind of nice to see those again but uh you know when nvidia then released a new driver and i'm like oh good somebody figured out what the problem was the new driver was released just a few days after so that must have fixed the problem right no no same problem but uh and now that we're talking about all this stuff and the Windows kernel versus Linux kernel, I think that uh, I, I was going to bring up again the the case of uh, servers running server programs in the cloud or in a data center. Uh, I, I uh, casually said earlier in this conversation that Linux uses less power, but it, it's the Linux operating system that uses less power. It's not necessarily the Linux kernel and all the crap that comes with the that comes along for the ride. When you want to run a Windows program on a Windows server, that's memory and power. So I don't know that replacing the kernel would help very much. It may not. And well, I, I have been bitching and bitching at work to say, stop building Windows programs for servers. I fucking hate working on them. And uh, I had that discussion earlier this week, and I'm glad I'm on vacation now. Just trying to uh, get away from that while you're now talking about that. So see, you're just yeah. <laughs> it's just like being at work. I don't know. But the so many people running stuff out of the cloud now. I mean, we've talked about that when the cloud goes away, when the cloud is unavailable. And I mean, I don't mind programs that ping home every now and then. But the ones where you're like, hey, I want to go do my word document. and You try to load up your word processor and it's like, "Ooh, please connect to the Internet. Like, yeah, no. the, the worst cases of what you're complaining about, the worst ones are the ones where we have programs that are designed to work completely independently of any other computer and they work fine and they have for decades and, and to say like, Oh, it's better to switch that over to the cloud. Fuck you. No, it's not. Yeah. Well, it's better because then they get all your data that way. I mean, really that we have all turned into being nothing more than data. That's all it is. Speak for yourself. Every bit of data. That's all they want. Everything on your computer is now data scraping. Um, you know, what, how do you feel about these programs Progo, that are out there? Ones like what? O and O. Um, I've seen a few different ones, which basically give you the BS that they're protecting you from. Well, not really protecting you. They're giving you all of the privacy choices that you can make on your Windows machine in, you know, from if you, you can either go search for like a thousand different screens to find all the settings. And their concept is they're giving you a program that puts them all in one place and then they give you suggested settings for what you should do i found the ono one fairly interesting just because you can go down the list even without changing everything you can find all of the settings that your computer has some of them you know blow my mind as far as what kind of information might be turned on that uh, it makes it easy to turn off things like cortana and things that you don't use for instance, I don't on this machine, it doesn't have a webcam that's built in. So I'm not using the whole Windows face to unlock and all that stuff. So you can turn all of that stuff off and they warn you if there's a possibility things are going to get borked. But I always worry with any kind of third party software like this that either A, it is going to bork your system or two, you're going to get so com uh, complacent that the next Windows update is going to change these settings back. And you're going to think you're protected or you're not sending the data and it was turned back on and there's no easy way to, you know, to monitor all of this stuff. Um, I mean, the one thing I noticed was to 
actually, you know, we think we talked about this the last time as far as Windows forcing you to have a login when you install the new operating system. And I think we talked about when you were on that you could just you know unplug from the Internet. It'll still allow you to install it. But I think the nefarious reason showed up a week or two ago. I had it on the list. I mean, we, we bloviate a lot. And we never got to the story, but it was about the new Windows uh, Microsoft Edge, which was going to have a new feature which integrated Skype video conferencing. And at first, yeah, right. And the first, my first, that's there, hilarious. Aren't there like standards for like any web page can get all the things that it needs for video conferencing? Well, like there what, is. What, what is like, why does it have to have something special for Skype? Go on. Well, because it's a Microsoft product, obviously, but you know, and, my, and because browsers don't do a good job of implementing those standards all the time. Well, no, but they, they can. I mean, if the Jitsi we've used, I mean, Zoom is horrible, but there are certain things you can do within a browser which does audio and video fairly well but i never you know i when i first saw the headline of that i was like well that's not really a big deal because somebody would have to have a skype account for this to to be a thing but then i thought about it it's like oh wait no they're just going to hook up whatever account is attached to your computer and they're going to give you a skype account yeah it's just going to they'll make you a skype account which is why they're forcing people to have an email attached to the Windows operating system when you install it. It's like, this is just shitty. It's pushing it a little bit, I think. But yeah, I don't know. This this whole concept, I mean, this will go down the lines again, just like with the browser wars. Just wait for that to be like, well, you could just press you know, a button in your browser and you're in Microsoft Skype. That's not fair to Jitsi and Zoom and all this and everybody will yell, you know, Monopoly again. Uh, worry so not something that you will probably legislate it <laughs> yeah you would we, you can legislate it problems that 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 totally has a history of working what, right that, i mean it's what the european union loves to do uh something that you touched on that um i i when you were rambling about the the, the put all your um privacy related settings all in one place and in one third party ui um you were starting to ask me like what do i think of those programs and I, I, it sounds fine to me if you've got somebody maintaining that who knows what they're doing, especially if the program has a feature to like have its own copy of all the settings. And then after an update, it might come up and say, oh, by the way, this somebody changed this setting back to something else. Did you want to fix that or not? Um, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of uh, experience with any of that stuff. I, I played with some of them in the past, but you were talking, you, when you said, Windows update will reset settings back to the way that you not the way that you wanted them. That reminds me of how Linux does not work. Um, in the Linux ecosystem, in the different, like the Linux kernel, which is the, the actual Linux product project, Linux kernel doesn't care about a lot of stuff. And this is outside of the scope of the Linux kernel, but the Linux operating systems that are all out there, the, the Red Hat slash Fedora. Uh, Debian and Ubuntu, and there's a whole lot of others that like I couldn't even list all the most important ones. I would probably leave one out. Um, they all seem to have this idea of when you install code from a package from your vendor's package managing system, um, it, you know, from their from their repository of, of code archives, it the code comes in like there there is 
a very good distinction between config files and executable or files that are absolutely required to give information to the executable. These files that never change, like pictures and, and the manual, and there's 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 all the static stuff, and then there's configuration, and they're they're like almost in two separate buckets. And the configuration files are always programmed to you put this configuration file in your Etsy folder if it doesn't exist already. And if there is that file already, then the installer is going to say, "Oh, by the way, like this, the default configuration has been upgraded." And do you want to like compare the files or the or the installer the the author of the installation package might have just said, "You know what? Just don't even touch it." Like if there is a configuration file, uh, ignore this uh, default configuration file I'm giving you. And the result of all this is that when you install upgraded code in Linux from the vendor, it doesn't ever change your configuration unless it brings up a screen asking you to think about it. Right. It's why you prefer the programs. And if you have a configuration file, it's like you, you're better off rather than hacking the actual configuration file for the program. If they allow you to have your own personal configuration file that basically their configuration goes, oh, do they change this in the other file? If no, we'll keep it the same. But if they change something, then use the change. Well, and it doesn't matter how much they update. You still they, your custom file is never touched. Exactly. What you just described sounds like a uh, it. It sounds like a convention, and not necessarily is that an is there an operating system service that facilitates what you just described with the config <laughs> files or uh, System D is working on it. Probably the System D is going to take over everything that is not prescribed by the kernel. Um, but right now, the de facto standard is that it's understood that upgraded packages aren't going to shit all over my configuration, but it's like on so, a, so and, and the, prevent, the package uh, manager tools are designed to support that policy, but it's, it's not like a structured thing where like you actually have a configuration service that calls the shots. Well, I only ask because if it's a convention, then, then why would this be operating system specific? Why couldn't, uh, it will, you know, programs on windows do the same thing? I, I mean, be, you have, because the Windows ecosystem is full of asshole programmers that don't know how to do anything <laughs> the right way. I get so pissed off in Windows where like every fucking program in Windows comes with its own fucking updater and its, and its own way, way of scheduling whether updates are checked for or installed. I installed well, that. The, that the, is, in fact, a failure of, of the oh, you, you were talking about package managers, which is the most yeah. awesome thing that Linux has. Uh, I think that is a failure of Microsoft to provide any kind of of centralized app management. You know, in in Windows eight, they actually tried to say, yeah. well, you know, we we here's here's this new concept of an app, and it's really you know the 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 Windows style apps you can install and install. They're like you know even more seamless than on a phone. But then they decided to uh, attach it to a huge marketing push that everybody recoiled away from like it was yeah that, you know, that failed because it took away features that you wanted to yes. have in your programs i i and i i personally worked on the windows runtime api which when we started that project was uh it, it was intended for over the next two or three versions to actually become a replacement for win 32 and then by the time windows 8 was shipped uh it, it wasn't a replacement for win 32 it was just a uh, a vehicle for apps nobody wanted and then suddenly the windows runtime api was it, it it's kind of died by now nobody cares 
And actually, <laughs> to your point about what's the deal with configuration policy, in well-behaved Windows programs, actually, it is the, the standard policy from one program to the next that when you install a user program and upgrade that user program, it does not overwrite your configuration with resetting values back to what you didn't want them for. Uh, but I think, uh, and and I was kind of conf- uh, confusing all that stuff when Darren was saying, well, the operating system does that overwriting configuration. The user programs don't, but the operating system does. And in Linux, that generally doesn't happen for system programs or user programs. Now, as far as package managers for Windows, anybody else using Chocolatey? I tried it a few I, times. I did try it. I like it. For, for my, my it technique, is. Microsoft my technique for blessed managing, Chocolatey, didn't it? Did, what was that? It, didn't did Microsoft it? basically bless Chocolatey and say, like, yes, we support this. We're going to integrate it into a few places. I, I don't know. But if they did, that would be good. Because for what it does, it does the job fairly well. And for things like, you know, of course, Flash players going but uh, Java, I have a whole bunch of different things set up, even like the open source AIMP, which I use for uh, audio listening to music and stuff like that. Rather than every time you open up a program, like you said, everybody does this differently rather than, you know, there's nothing worse than opening up a program. And the first thing you get is the pop up, like, would you like to update now? It's like, well, no, I want to make this easy. And yeah, I, I want to use the program now when you're proposing that the you know, at the one time, you know, for certain, I want to use the program. Right. You're proposing that it become unavailable. Thanks. Right. So that with chocolatey, yeah. it's nice because I usually remember to run that or, you know, I have a script you can run to. But, uh, you know, I'd rather watch and see what actually updated. You go in, you give it a command and it goes through every program that you have, you know, attached with it. And it looks for updates. And if they have updates, they download them and they install it without having to go through the whole rigmarole of interacting with the installers and all of that, too. So I found it makes things. A whole lot easier now of course you are getting into the same point that it could cause problems if somebody hacks into the system but they do i've noticed every now and then it comes up where the uh the checksum doesn't match so it doesn't install the file so there are at least things built in that it's not really easy to uh to change the install file well, to something ju- else just about just about anything that you could possibly do for managing apps on windows would be an improvement over the system that has existed for 25 years where whatever you downloaded from the internet you you give it root privileges to run right. arbitrary code and you call that an installer and what you hope is that the only thing it does is lay down some some binaries into your program files directory and maybe not shit too much into the registry you hope that's all it does but some of them are putting in rootkits or doing all sorts of other things yeah um I'll, I mean, you're asking me if I use an, a package manager. I don't even run installers. Uh, <laughs> well, you're not normal. I think we've all. Uh, if, if if I can, anytime that I download something, if I can, I always pick up the portable version of it because that way I've got a zip file. I unpack the zip file and I launch the executable in there. No root needed. Go. Well, yeah, but how does it fill but your I, registry with needless information? Well, if the executable right. wants to do that, it can do that once I launch it. Brian, but, let me ask you this. If. Microsoft went further with Chocolatey. If Microsoft said, like, not only do we endorse Chocolatey, but we're going to start pushing it in all the different channels. If they, uh, if if they put in to Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code ways to package up the current project you're working on as a Chocolatey channel and publish that Chocolatey channel to GitHub, and then like make that available in some channel catalog, 
Um, I, I think that's how Chocolatey works. Like like any other package manager, you've got feeds that you subscribe to, and there's a bunch of default feeds that have hundreds of programs. Uh, so if Microsoft went that far and said, we, we really want everybody using Chocolatey to distribute their program executables for Windows, uh, would you then use that in lieu of your copying and pasting out of a zip file? Maybe. Okay. I, I, I would have to know how it works is, is really my, um, you know, copying and pasting out of a zip file. I know exactly what's happening, which is yeah. that, uh, you know, files are appearing in a directory that I understand, you know, for one thing, uh, I, well, the, I really, the really don't like using like chocolate because you can read it and I don't think it's very big. No, I, okay. I, I'm not particularly married to any form of, uh, of, uh, system. You know, I, I guess it depends on, on is the software that I, does the software that I want give me options? It, um, uh, let's, let's refine the hypothetical. Uh, if, if the software that I wanted had two options, you could either run this command in chocolatey or you could, you know, take this zip file. What would I do? Um, I mean, I haven't studied chocolatey enough to know exactly what it's doing. Uh, if, if one of those options, uh, doesn't require anyone to, you know, it doesn't require me to give root access. It doesn't require me to, uh, be able to write to a bunch of places. Um, one of the main reasons that I have for, uh, preferring not to run installers is, uh, I like to be able to clean uninstall, which is something that installers are notoriously bad about, even the ones that are theoretically well-behaved, which, mm-hmm. you know, when, whatever the installer did, the uninstaller actually removes. Um, you're still not really getting a clean uninstall because any user settings, which are written to the registry are almost never removed because, uh, and, and this goes to the developer If the developers like, well, they might want to reinstall the program and we right. want to save their configuration. Well, no, I, I no, I want you to fucking make my system like this software has never been on there. Right. Or we um, want to make sure you only get our free trial once. Yeah, that that's a big part. And, uh, so one of the things that I really like about, uh, you know, trying to keep something out of a zip file is that, uh, the, sorry, I've, I've got people on my roof now. Uh, <laughs> Wait, do you know who these people are or are they nope. just coming for you? This sounds no, like- they're cleaning, they're cleaning the gutters, but I'm hearing a lot of thumping right now. So <laughs> we hear helicopters little- overhead. We hear bullhorns outside. And Ryan's like, I may have to cut this uh, podcast short a little. Uh, well, I, I may spend more time muted because I'm, I'm being distracted or walking away anyways um yeah i i i like i don't like when software has difficult to find side effects and if i if if i use the zip file then it uh, i know for sure that the files are you know the installer is it's all in this directory and even better if it uses a a local config file or something because you know it, Having taking the whole thing and putting it into a sandbox, I guess. Now, if the mm-hmm. operating system decided to give me some kind of app sandbox, which has been, you know, something that the, the virtualization sort of thing, then that's been, even I've better. I've been wanting the, the Android style sandbox on Windows and Linux for years, ever since I yeah. understood how it worked. Well, this is all good and bad. There was also an article uh, from Bleeping Computer. I think it was last week, two weeks ago. Another one we hadn't gotten to due to having all of the great guests that we've had onto the show. Um, the maze ransomware 
now encrypts via virtual machine to avoid detection. So there's something to be said uh, that this is some genius stuff, I guess, that the ransomware now sets up a VM and then runs inside of that so that the antivirus on the system itself can't pick it up. Isn't that great? That's going to be a nightmare for uh, corporate developers coming in the future because like corporate developers that, that work for government contractors and stuff like that, you, you, you're in this hellhole world where everything on your company Windows system is all locked down. And like, I can't even fucking run a BitTorrent client without it getting like if it finds code that is a BitTorrent client, it, that code gets terminated and moved into a quarantine folder. Nice. And I'm like, fuck you. I just wanted to download LibreOffice. <laughs> you will not. And uh, it, if the malware starts moving into virtual machines, the corporate malware that fucks with my ability to do work is going to get into my virtual machines. Yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> and I can't wait for that. Well, yeah, because that adds such a new level of fun and excitement to this cat and mouse game that you can't detect something in a virtual machine from the actual machine. That's, I mean, maybe they'll get to that point where they can, but I'm not yeah, really they, sure they're, how they're going to, they're, they're going to find, they're going to install some new feature in the, in the antivirus malware, as I call it, that will uh, detect the creation and starting up of any virtual machine and inject the mal- anti-malware engine into it. Well, that'd be kind of cool. But I mean, I guess eventually we're just going to have uh, this is why we need like 64 gig of RAM and these yeah. big beefy CPUs. Oh, yeah, that that that, that is not going to run on my five watt netbook CPU. No, no, it's going <laughs> to drag that thing to a crawl. I, I, I react to the, the phrase anti-malware, like most antivirus type things. It, it, it's you, you have to read it the same way that you read things like Antifa, the anti-fascist group. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I all the stu- all the security related stuff that my enterprise gives me, I treat that as malware myself. I just can't no. actually remove it. You know, so as long as we're yeah, yeah sorry. I was gonna say there, it's there for a reason, and but it all comes down to things we've talked about before, which is who do you trust? I mean, I use the Bitdefender suite on my system. Yeah, and, I trust, and them, ultimate, ultimately, ultimately, if if my IT department completely trusted me without, you know, that there's. I know quite a number of people that have my kind of role in my company and some of them, you know, you don't know them personally. You don't know that they know how to use a computer responsible. Right. If they trusted all of us without question and said, oh, you can just uninstall all the security software, they would probably get prosecuted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And let me ask you, Progo, are you trustworthy? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> there, That's. That is the proper answer. See, if you would have said yes, we would have known it was a lie. I, I trust Progo with every system I've ever given him. Right. You've never given him a system, though. But so you're, you're going to put all, when, if I ever come and visit, you're going to make sure that all your IT is in one room and I can't go and change the language like Dvorak likes to do. It's, everything's in a Faraday cage <laughs> at the Bemrose land, I tell you. If, if I'm going to come visit, I'm going to bring my flip phone and no other technology. No, he's coming to visit you. Oh, what's the uh, what do you do when somebody comes in? Do you get like a full strip search or what? Into Casa well, apparently Bemrose. I let them go up on my roof and thump <laughs> yes. around for a while. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, Harry Hamster thought it might be Santa Claus. but I, I don't think it is Santa Claus Could on be. your roof. So as long as we're bringing back uh, ancient stories that have been in the notes forever. Uh, let's see. Uh, I've got uh, edge announcements at Ignite 2020. Okay. which was last month. So this is about uh, the new Microsoft Edge browser. It's going to revolutionize browsing. 
I yeah. I look forward to any new team which is releasing a Firefox or Chrome fork, which is not actually Mozilla or Google. That always makes me excited. Well, Edge because is, I, I can't trust Mozilla or Google at all. Edge is Chromium, so I yeah. I mean, <laughs> but but to have even if it's Microsoft to have some other team package Chrome for me, that makes me excited. Oh, there's that. Uh, and you, you can't get away from from Chrome these days. Uh, so the the big announcement from from Ignite 2020 is that Edge is coming to Linux. Uh, it says coming to Linux next month, but now that it is next month, um, I'm guessing that soon. See yet uh, another case of Microsoft being friendly to Linux. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, so that, that's that was their, what reminded me. Their actually. overall strategy is it definitely that. Um, and then they uh, they're also touting uh, hardware isolation through Microsoft Defender Application Guard. Uh, which is uh, a private mode in Windows 10, which spins up, basically spins up a new VM to run your tab in uh, and one one VM per tab. That sounds uh, it, it might be overkill, but at the same time, that sounds really, really exciting from a security perspective. So I just had to bring that. Uh, and then the other thing that they brought was uh, they brought back kiosk mode. Oh, I don't know who cares about that, but. <laughs> Anybody that, that runs, runs kiosks, kiosks. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. If you can walk up to in, inside of a transit station and start playing with the map, and the map will do anything you want and terminate the browser and start fucking with settings, then uh, you'd be concerned about having kiosk mode. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, every time you reboot, give me something fresh. But seriously, if if you're building a kiosk, wouldn't you use some Chromebook or something lighter than full Windows 10? Please, probably. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we would, but sometimes the people uh, doing this stuff uh, don't always follow then, the right way. Let's see. You know what? Actually, this story isn't that interesting. They've got more overloading of the address bar. Um, so now, uh, you know, they're the, everybody's decided to dumb down their browsers so that they just have one place that you can type all text and it just tries to decide what you're doing. Well, um, then they so hide the address that you're at. I hate yeah, that. Yeah. A- AOL keywords and walled gardens. Here we come. <laughs> we're, we're coming yeah, back. We're, 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 it's always a, yeah, it's a cycle. Um, Who has the keyword? No agenda. A, a new feature called data loss prevention, which basically means it pops up a dialogue and notifies your sysadmin if you try to move a file to an unprotected location. So exfiltration protection? I, yeah, I think so. It's called data loss prevention is what they called it. But it yeah, loss to me is when a device fails and I know it. Yeah, that, that was my thought is this this feels like or it, it feels like a, a security, like trying to prevent people from s- stealing your trade secrets or something. Maybe, which is good. Um, you but, don't want that. The example that they gave is, is if you plug in a USB key and you, you enable that because people need to be able to uh, you know store their personal documents. But if you have uh, a particular folder or documents marked with a certain metadata and you try to copy one of those to the USB key, then it will pop up a huge dialogue saying this file is protected. So, yeah. Okay. Not yeah. actually an interesting story. The, uh, the, the big, the big story was that it was coming to Linux. Um, I, I don't get excited about things where like my company had, um, I think somebody in IT told me like, yes, we've actually deployed this system that will detect if I ever, I think it was like, if I ever record in a document file or put on the clipboard uh, a series of social security numbers or other things that are like protected class of data, 
like the system was going to know and it would report on that kind of stuff being stored in the wrong place. I, I never heard of it actually catching anything. I don't think it was ever really deployed anyway. And I didn't think it would ever work. And I like when you have heuristics that say that that either make a report about or stop you from doing something with data that you shouldn't be doing. I, I feel like I, like, you know, maybe you want to use that as like, you know, one layer insecurity, but I'm not going to get excited about it. I'm not going to believe it's, it's going to work. Well, adding more well, security you, layers doesn't necessarily make anything more secure. We all know that. Yeah. Well, the I mean, it doesn't you, necessarily you need fail is, to make it more secure. Right. You you need for people who know what the hell they're doing to be the ones administering the system. You can't just yeah. you, you throw more layers at it than I mean that's it's more tools in your toolbox, but tools don't build a shed on their own. You still have to do yeah, something. Yeah, and and my for the record, my company's primary security uh method for things like that like you should not be copying this kind of data outside of where it's secure the primary method is education and they don't count on that entirely but we have uh, annual training like you need to understand that when you're dealing with private health information that you can't just email it you through your gmail account and that's fine um we have lectures every year about that and uh at, at some point you do have to trust your workers to actually work in the way that you tell them to um, well, that, what what you just said is is kind of fundamental to every every company that has employees you, at some point yeah. you have to trust your workers well yeah because they are the weakest link so you could have the most technologically secure system in the world the way into these systems is by compromising somebody that works for you that has access to the system and yeah. it's i i I feel sad for anybody that works in an environment where the default policy is we do not trust you to do the right thing with data. And you like, you know, you can't even like plug in a personal audio player to the power socket on your desk because your, your battery is low, uh, because that might be a security risk. Um, I could not work in that environment. I kind of understand why some environments have to be that way, but no fucking way I'm going to do that job. Yeah. That's taking a little further. I'd find a way to hack it. Well, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you get fired and then that's uh you know that's a thing but i mean i get it you know governmental agencies think. stuff like that I, you have to take every precaution you can but it still again comes down to the fact that if the person that has access to it is stupid and when they get a text or a phone call that's like hey this is joe down in it we're having a problem i just need your uh, username and password okay and they give uh, it no <laughs> right that's yeah the proper answer is no but it's amazing yeah, How if, many if you're Joe in IT, you can do all of this stuff with your own password. Thank you. Yeah, I can make this faster, though, for you. I can make sure you're up and running before everybody else, Ryan. If you just give me your social security number. So my, my litmus test, if if I have joined some kind of organization, my litmus cult. test for how how, you know, open or available or, or am I even willing to use these systems is uh, can I change accessibility settings? Hmm. Um. The, the is it common that you the, can't yes in a lot of places where they don't trust the people you uh the the biggest accessibility setting for me because it directly impacts my ability to type which means use a computer is can i install the dvorak keyboard layout mm-hmm. um but the other okay. thing is can i go in and change like the colorblind settings so that the you know because there are certain things in default windows that that are hard to make out and i just change it 
I've I've got a related setting that there's been a there's plenty of places of where they'll they'll block the control panel entirely. Uh, do you know that I I, uh, I I don't know how common my preference here is. It must not be very common because nobody's complaining about it. Um, it. Years ago in Windows, you had a setting that would let you set the how how soon would a key start repeating if you held down the key and how fast would it repeat? And I yeah. always set that to the the fastest the the, <coughs> the least delay and and the fastest repeat speed. Yeah, I that think everybody setting did. still exists in Windows. However. It is not cert- It is not findable from inside of the settings dialog box that, it, or the, the settings, the settings screen in Windows that you click on the notification area and say, "Go bring me to all settings." If you search for keyboard, you are not going to find the setting I'm talking about. It still exists, but you have to get it. You can only get to it through the old control panel system. And uh, I'm sure that this has been talked about on Grumpy Old Ben's before. How like not paper cuts do not get fixed in Windows. Uh, like you have one opportunity to upgrade to the new system, right? And if the programmer doesn't get it right the first time, sorry, it's just, we're done. It, it's going to stay like that forever. Uh, popped right up when I searched for keyboard. It, it, you can. So right now I'm going to click on all. <laughs> well, he's settings. also running a different operating system. Yeah, I'm, running, I, I'm, I'm running, I'm running the buggy <laughs> version of windows 10. That doesn't allow you to install WSL. Cause yeah, it came before that every that. version of windows 10. Yeah. He's, he's on windows eight. He's, he will not go to windows 10. Ryan won't. So I, I, t- I just typed in keyboard into all settings and I've got, um, I have a keyboard and then there's a result called typing settings. And this, this is great podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Blitz so typing settings is like the only thing that might bra. work. And I scroll through typing settings and the uh the the speed of repeating and, and the delay is not here. It, and if they yep. fix that in a later version of 10, that's awesome. Great. I type keyboard, it took me directly to keyboard properties in the control panel. Yep, Windows 8 superior again. <laughs> oh, you're in Windows 8. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Windows I'm, 10 I'm, is broken. <laughs> Windows 10 is broken. I, I just said that. <laughs> But they actually, actually Darren said that another of the uh, the things that kind of make me think that they're looking more friendly at the whole Linux ecosystem. It was there was an article on Windows testing out for when you're installing Windows 10 or whichever the next version may be to give you different options, which is something that, you know, besides the whole, hey, you didn't give us enough money. So you're getting Windows home, you know, where there's a Windows Pro. I know, I know. I I just that always annoyed me as well. But the 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 ability to customize is what they're testing now. Which there was a thing uh, that was on bleepingcomputer.com marketing market segmenting the ability to change settings. Well, it's making it easier for the people when you set up a machine and the categories they're playing with right off the bat were. Let's see. It looks like six of them gaming. You know, if you mainly play and uh, discover new games, keep up with new releases. You know. Oh, so you're talking about Opera browsers personas, kind of. But for now, for your whole Windows goodness, your whole Windows persona, you can set it up for you know a family device where there's multiple people. Which I thought that was already the way it was. But you know, if you're a creative, it'll be uh, you know set up for that schoolwork, entertainment, and business. So basically, they're kind of trying to get a little bit of information on how the machine is being used, and then they're going to customize the installation of Windows, which, I mean, I guess it's nice in the sense that if you're not a gamer and you're just a creator, you know, I mainly use my system just for creating audio and video and stuff like that. 
where you don't install all the crap you don't need. I mean, maybe this will make it a lighter weight thing or is this maybe it's just a case where they want to be able to give you more targeted bloatware. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting concept because this is kind of Linux. The the lighter versions of Ubuntu are just like, here's all the desktop things that everybody is going to want to have. And the the really big question is, should a productivity suite, a word processor, spreadsheet, slides, should that be included in the everyone wants to have this package? And some Ubuntu versions have that, some of them don't. And then after that, it's just like, okay, I have a list of software that I want. I type that into the command line. Ten minutes later, it's all installed. Do you know why this this idea would never work in Windows? Because every team in Windows knows in their heart of hearts that the software, the piece of Windows that they are working on is the most important piece in the entire operating system and <laughs> must be included in every installation. Can can uh, I call that uh can I call that the, the homepage then? Uh, my company you can. <laughs> my company had that so bad when we were trying to build and rebuild our horrible internal portal for like blogs and newsletters and policies and stuff. Uh we went through a couple of years where everybody at, at everyone who had anyone reporting to them had to have a thing on the homepage of the company portal. And this is like 4,000 people that work for this company. I'm sorry, but your particular information does not need to be on the homepage. I think they're, they're misunderstanding the concept of portal then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, I just know that, uh, you know, for example, the, the media player would, uh, you know, if, so the example that we had was in in Windows 8 when uh, DVD was no longer going to be included. Uh, DVD playback was no longer going to be included in the operating system by default. And there were actual monetary reasons like the cost of every single version of or every single uh, copy of Windows was higher because had to pay the royalties right, on the every version, fee. Or the licensing fee on, and, and, and tack that onto the cost of Windows. So. We had really good reasons for wanting to take it out. And the media player team kept arguing over and over again that, no, we can't take it out because people need this. And it was actually a big fight. And that seems like it should be a no brainer. So trying to you know convince anybody that, hey, actually, your product um, or your your particular app. Yeah, not everybody wants to use that is so, is a little bit foreign to some of the Microsoft can, culture. Can you explain the DVD thing a little more? I just want to know. Um, was the alternative like other than leaving it in the OS as a default thing? Was it just was the alternative going to be it's not installed in the default install, but if the user asks for it, then they get it right away and we pay for it. That was that. How that is it? that is precisely what happens. Is there? <laughs> so it's uh, click a button to get DVD playback. Okay, I'll click this button. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you click, and the first time that you try to launch a DVD in the media player now, or in, you know now, uh, starting in Windows eight. Um, the first time you try to launch a DVD in a DVD player, it will go and pop up the installing dialog very briefly. And you're like, what the fuck is it installing? Well, it's going out to the Internet and downloading the DVD codec. And the first the, the entire is- reason why it, it that why that's not in. And actually, um, in Win 8, they might have even had it in, in the local like it might have been on the local installation disk, which which means a cab file that's inactive. So they might just be turning it on. But I think mm-hmm. nowadays it definitely would go out to the internet. But either way, uh, 
yeah, that's that's the implementation is the first time somebody tries to use it, it goes out and then Microsoft, you know, keeps a tally in the background like, OK, we need to pay this extra amount for royalties because somebody downloaded the DVD codec. So if you like if you go out and install a version of Windows and you want to cost Microsoft some small amount of extra money, just <laughs> try to launch a DVD once. Just just keep creating new virtual machines and installing the DVD code. <laughs> yeah, yes. maybe that. Watch that bill pop up. A Blitz wanted to know, uh, Ryan, if you're running the Pornhub version of Windows 8. Um, I mean, I didn't know there was one. I I, I have lots of porn on my version of Windows 8. Is that what? Yeah, the, I don't know. I mean, just like you can you can get your system dialed in exactly the way you wanted. So they thought maybe that was the addition you were running. So um, I wanted Progo's opinion on uh, another story that I've been carrying around for for a couple of versions. But this I actually got from No Agenda Social, where Progo was the one who posted it. And it had to do. So you, with you a, want an opinion on my story? Right. Okay. He, so you, right, he posted something which was obviously your, your opinion. And now he wants yeah. your opinion on your opinion. And now I want I, you to speak that opinion into the microphone so that other people are given the opportunity to have your opinion given to them. That, I mean, no comment. What, what, but go what ahead. Are you <laughs> uh, Bitwarden, Bitwarden password manager vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had an interesting take on this particular story. Uh, the story is enlighten me because I have no idea now. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is the beauty um, of social media. So the, the story was that there was a vulnerability in their auto update code. Uh, but the, the take that you had, which I hadn't even thought of is, uh, that this is a, this password manager and, and that it's a password manager is makes it a real problem. But I think this is true of any software. Uh, it does silent auto updates and, Mm -hmm. uh, the take that you brought was, um, software that does silent auto updates is a huge security vulnerability no matter what the software does i mean it's worse if it's a password manager because that's kind of your gateway into everything else in the in the computing space but um if uh if a soft piece of software does it's silent auto updates and this includes every single one of the updaters that darren was complaining about earlier and, and don't forget, I just want to interject. Most of these auto updating programs are not running in an Android sandbox, so they can access all of your data. They can go yeah. on. So, so what you have is uh, somebody's arbitrary code going out to the network, downloading code and running it as root on a periodic basis on your system. That's what an auto updater is. Mm-hmm. And we accept this because we expect all software to just update. And we hope, because we've been told that uh, whenever the update is going, all it's doing is going out and fetching the new version of the software we've already installed. But that's not all it might and, be and doing. We're hoping, and we're hoping that that software is hasn't become uh, nefarious. In, exactly. Since the, last and the, the point that the point that you brought up that really got my attention was uh, what if, for example, um, you know, say your auto updater is for. Uh, uh, <laughs> Adobe Flash. Why not? Um, what if uh, it, Adobe is served with a FISA warrant that says we want to hack into and spy on this person's computer? They now have uh, the channel that they just build up a custom package that says, yeah, next time their software calls for a silent auto update, it'll just come and download our package. And now we've just rootkitted on 
it, it, it felt like we are giving every piece of software that's installed on our system. We are giving full root access and it's not your computer anymore. But, but even better than it, it, never mind using a Pfizer warrant to go after Adobe Flash and have them insert bad code. What about the programs that I had to pay for that I can't get an update unless I have paid for it? And therefore, my user ID request to give me the new update package. Then they know exactly who they're dealing with. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, the, I, I, is Bitwarden a commercial product? I, I don't remember anymore. It's, it's, it's been a, so long. I mean, that story yeah. is so yesterday. But anyway, a password manager. Last month. A password manager that it's perfectly fine to have a non-free code as that's being a password manager if you trust the vendor and and you 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 can say like yes I will give you access to my computer for this purpose, but um that 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 password manager vendor that you are paying for that they know who you are when you're asking for the update if uh, the U.S. government comes to them and says you need to install special a special version of your password manager on Progo's computer. Then yeah. they'd be like, well, we don't like this, but we don't have any choice and we can't talk about it. So we're just going to do it. Yeah. And, and they, I mean, all they have to do is filter it on your user ID. And yeah. And nobody else gets the bad code. Well, yeah. they don't even have to have auto updates on for that. They could just, you know, again, you have, I guess, more of a, uh, a choice. But for the average person, if the next time you went into whatever the program was and you got the pop up that said, oh, there's an update available, most people will update the software. Yeah, and yes, password but, managers. But somebody who is paranoid because they yeah. might be into nefarious shit might not be doing that. Ideally, for me, a password manager is completely independent of all other software, does not take instructions from the cloud of any kind, and is open source. So I could pay someone to look at it if I wanted to. Well, ideally, for me, any software should be taking instructions from the user and not necessarily the cloud, unless unless it's doing so on my behalf, and then I want to know about it. It's right. interesting. So managers are like the particularly vulnerable. That's why I got so uh, pissed off about it. Well, I'm surprised that might be. We've well, yeah. There was, uh, you know, this was one case. I'm surprised there haven't been more cases of the password managers being targeted. Or if they are, people aren't really talking about it. Because I guess if you have the exploit, well, it's it's the next X key score. We'll find out about it in ten years or so. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it's so one I of those a, deals that everybody should use a password manager. I mean, it's a double-edged sword in the case that if you don't use a password manager, usually what happens is people use really stupid, simple passwords, or they're writing them down with, you know, on a, in a piece of paper, and or they're using the same password or very something very similar, just a variation on every site that they use. So the password managers, and I use one, it's great because you can generate a random password however long. And you don't have to remember it. But with that said, you do have to remember the one master password to get yourself into that. This is one case where I do understand uh, two-factor authentication, although that simply is not uh, perfect You know, to guarantee you're not going to get hacked. But if somebody gets a hold of your, you know, the file for your password, most of these things store the stuff online in the cloud, which I also get. Because people do need their passwords when they're not sitting at their desktop. So, for I mean, you can say, and I'm sure Ryan will make the case, well, you shouldn't do that, but then you'll never be able to log into anything when you're away from home. I mean, of course, I never leave the house, so that's okay. But for most people, yeah, I, I, I am, I'm a very big proponent of making sure that your security is is tailored to what you have to secure and how much you need to secure it. It's 
it's the way that I navigate the trade-off between, you know, security and usability are kind of opposite ends of the same line. Uh, and, you know, the more usable something is, the less secure it is. And a lot of places will be like, well, you know, here are all of the possible scenarios and we must secure against all of them. And they, they crank the usability way down in order to do that. And then there's other places where, you know, for example, if, if I'm signing on to a, a website where uh, you, you download some free images from the Internet and they're like, OK, well, you need a, a complex 12 character password that has two demonic glyphs in it. Right. Um, it, it It is. The, those those are examples of when security has kind of gone out of whack with with regards to how important is it that I secure. I, I don't mind, you know, if if you are forcing me to make create a login for in order to download a patch for my software or something, and I can't just download that anonymously because you say you must log in to download, then I'm probably going to create a throwaway account with a fucking dictionary word as the password, because that is how much importance i place on being able to secure that login which is i don't care but funny example of that that i have just recently um i have on my blackberry i have a there's a protocol called totp but basically everyone knows that as google authenticator that's the two-factor authentication um the most common way that this is used is uh the the service you're logging into will give you a seed value. You install that in your Google Authenticator client, which is not really a network program. And then from then on, at, at any given number amount of time since that seed, um, yeah. the, the Google Authenticator and the server will have the same number and nobody else can guess what it is. It, um, yeah, it's, it's just an algorithm that takes into, it takes inputs of the seed number and the amount of seconds passed since some epoch. Yeah, and so if, we'll, we'll if call- both of those pieces of information are known on both sides. You can theoretically get the same number, but if you don't have them, then it's cryptographically secure. We'll we'll call that two FA version. We'll call that Google Authenticator because it's the thing that's compatible with Google Authenticator. So I have a Google Authenticator stand-in on my BlackBerry that I thought was free, but actually it's like, oh no, you can't add any more than six TOTP sessions because uh, you didn't pay. And I was like, oh really? I Okay, I have to uninstall. go and find another. I have to go uh, find first, another. First, Google pull the keys out and then uninstall. <laughs> I have to go find another Google Authenticator program sometime. But I was setting up two uh, FA on a, a service on the internet. I don't even remember what it was uh, a couple of weeks ago, and so I'm like, okay, so I have no slots in here. Where should I put this? And I looked in KeePass XC, which is my KeePass uh, my my KeePass format password manager that I That's have the same one I use. passwords in. And KeePass XC has Google Authenticator built into it. I was like, okay, that's cool. And I went ahead and, because I didn't, I, I don't remember what it was, but I didn't particularly care if like, this has to be really secure. So, okay, I'll just put it in KeePass. And I went through all the motions to put in KeePass and it didn't even like complain to me like, hey, you probably shouldn't be putting it in here. It just let me do it. I thought that was kind of funny. Huh. I, I wanted to read uh, one quote from uh, the, the Bitwarden. Uh, the the vulnerability. Um, this is actually from Jeffrey Paul, who is the co-founder of Keyternal, which I think is a competitor. It says uh, the fact that of all things, a password manager would grant full remote code execution to its developers is insane. The very fact that you would ship a feature like this means that you are in no way qualified to hold keys or authentic- authentication credentials that allow you to publish a new version that could, at your sole option 
backdoor everyone's installations and <laughs> steal all the passwords of every single user of this software. But but that's and, how all of IT works in the last 20 yeah. years. I hey, was going to say that is, that is also, that's how all updates work. But, yeah. but the very put that way though, it, it, it makes updates really fucking frightening. Yeah. And if you try to explain this to somebody, grab somebody from a time machine from 30 years ago and explain this is how things work. They'd be like, how the fuck did you get there? The more things change, the more they stay the same. That's how. Okay. I had uh, one more. Uh, I had an Internet of Things story. Um, it, uh, are you familiar with the Nike Adapt BB sn- sneakers? shoes uh no but since you're bringing it up in this context it's probably stupid <laughs> it is um okay are you familiar with the movie back to the future 2 yes um the where there was one scene where uh marty in that movie goes to the future and he gets um the the doc hands him a, a jacket and some shoes which when he puts it on it auto fits to him and the shoes automatically lace on their own. And, and the presumption uh, is that this, this auto fit clothing is doing it based on locally available information. Yeah. That's it. The, it, in theory. it analyzed Marty in the spot and said, you are this size. Yeah. That, that was well in, in the movie, they had an entire costume department to uh, make sure that it was correct. And, but the movie of course was, uh, you know, the the quote unquote future of the movie, the one where everybody was walking around on hoverboards and and you know the flying cars and everything was 2015. We have well, hoverboards. They they just they start yeah, fires. We we, have, we have flying, flying cars. cars too. They just when they when they fly, they usually land in a way that makes them undrivable. Well, you know that flying is very safe. It's just those really hard landings that are not. So um, the shoes were uh they had and and this was a product tie-in from what 1989 or whatever year the uh the movie was um the shoes were called the nike mag and Mm -hmm. nike has you know because they were the they got their swoosh on the shoes in the movie um nike has come out with uh a pair of shoes that is kind of like that uh called the nike adapt which is sneakers which will automatically lace on their own and you can tighten them or, you know, they'll, they'll electronically lace to the proper tightness on your foot. So that they, they kind of do what shows in the movie. Just, just okay. drop the cloud angle. So, so we can laugh at it. I, okay. <laughs> it has an app. <laughs> the app is allows you to do things like tighten or loosen your shoes or unlace them <laughs> from your phone. Okay, that's not even the worst. Um, this was used as an example in a uh, Google announcement because Google was announcing that Google Assistant, the Hey Google, okay Google, you know, <laughs> go buy the Google Assistant can now control Android apps by voice, and the example that they used was the Nike Adapt app. And one of the people on stage said, hey, Google, open Nike Adapt and unlace my shoes. And his fucking shoe came off. That is the future. Does this actually work for disabled people? And if not, (laughs) who the fuck cares? (laughs) I have no idea. I don't know. 
Uh, you know, you, you, you just stumbled onto what could possibly be the only legitimate use for this. Cause I tell you what, if I want to unlace my shoes, I'll just reach down and fucking unlace my shoes, but my shoes are not electronic and I don't have an app for them. So maybe I'm behind the times. Well, this actually seems way more useful than the internet of things device you brought to us last week, Brian on Friday. <laughs> hey, don't kink shame. I'm not I'm just saying if you want something useful. This is um, I, I want to uh, I want to thank uh, Sir Spencer and Dame Lorian for, for that device, because that was where I heard about it. Uh, and I didn't realize that they had already covered it on their show. Um, I, I just want to say we, we covered it more from the tech aspect and they covered it more from the the bowl after bowl aspect. So just, I think um, I, I don't feel like there was a they lot didn't of actually buy one and review it, did they? Not that we know. I hope of. not. <laughs> uh, but somebody okay. on uh, somebody like asked about that on No Agenda Social, which is way better than Twitter. If you want an invite, grumpyoldbenz.com mentioned us talking about it was 15 minutes of hilarity. So we did something right when talking I, about that device. I, I thought it, I thought it was a good segment. And I will say I, I got to say the shoes is a better story because just like what? How the fuck do you defend that as like, why should anybody care about that? Well, well like, at least the, the penis trap thing has like, at least there's like, you could explain a story where like, okay, I could yeah. see why somebody would want to do that. Yeah. Like this penis isn't going to lock itself down. <laughs> well, the technology could definitely be used. My dad has major problems getting down to tie shoes. So we had to go to like the Velcro thing. But, um, but, th but this Nike thing, it's not going to work for him. I promise you, there's going to be a disability failure with it. There may be. And if that's the case, then doom on them but yeah. it's something that the uh the concept might show a little bit of promise but yeah i wouldn't count on it working well yet but there I, is i'm just waiting for the exploits to come out like i can walk down the street in a, a crowded street and go hey google unlace everyone's shoes and the, everybody's the, the walking version over. of shut off the electric car <laughs> well yeah but there you know it's way more nefarious than that you don't have to do that but if you could just hack somebody that their account because usually these it depends on how it's in uh, intermingling and how the signal's going out now if the phone that is actually running the app has to be close enough or is it attached to an account that it'll get it off the person's phone either way i mean just imagine if you could hack somebody that goes out and runs all the time if you could just in the middle of their run have both of their shoes completely unlaced at the same time they'd go flying maybe there's a speed sensor in there so if you're not stationary it it <laughs> It's flash. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That you want to talk yeah. high in the sky. Sure. Maybe yeah, let, let's assume that they did a, a, a full security threat model on this thing. <laughs> uh huh. Yes. Yeah. Untie the person's shoes while they're Cause, running. Because nobody's uh, ever fucked up any Internet of Things security or, or usability. It all is. And I, I mean, it's, and that's the thing that the, the other angle on the disability is it's not acceptable for disability for for. It's not acceptable to give it to somebody with disabilities, especially if you're the one making the decision, unless it is cloud free and it's just local computing. Like I, you, you don't give this cloud shit to people who are disabled because like, oh, this will help you. No, it'll make your life worse. Make your life worse. You mean I can't put my shoes on if the Internet's down? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Damn. But, but at least you can get into your Tesla car. Yes. I mean, it won't go they anywhere. They have an offline option. I mean, uh, there's uh, there was a dude that just like a week or two ago got his brand new Tesla, sat in the passenger seat and videotaped while it drove him wherever he was going. It's like that still scares the crap out of me. It should. Uh, I'm fine <laughs> with that. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, self-driving cars are. I'm fine with that still because not perfect humans are scary. shitty drivers. Well, I agree They're, there. Yeah. 
I mean, it should scare the crap out of you for a human to drive around too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't know. It just seems to me there's way more that can go wrong putting this stuff up to sensors that have. I mean, I guess we're all we all have sensors. I have faulty, you know, vision sensors in my body. So I guess I understand that either way, the the problem can happen. Yeah, it's just but, a question of is there more human failure or is there more still computer but, failure? But here's why. Here's why you should still trust a human marginally more than than the Tesla auto driving cars is that the human sensors and actuators are all reliant on local computing resources. The human yes. does not go out to the cloud for driving decisions. Elon Musk says soon you will. Oh, yeah, hold on. I'm, let me cons- I'm let not me consult signing the up for cloud that about surgery. this trolley problem in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't yeah, you consult the cloud like, for okay, everything? I, I, need, I need to figure out a solution to this trolley problem that allows me to hit both groups. Right. <laughs> this. How do we cause the massive, most amount of carnage? That's that's what you would go for. Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. The Internet of Things stuff is not slowing down. It is also the worst thing in the world for our privacy and our security. Most people pay very little attention to every device that they hook up to their Wi-Fi network, just as we talked about with phones and Ryan's right. Even I don't delete every app the minute I'm not using it. And I have tested way too many like podcast apps and stuff because I wanted to see which ones, you know, show the album art when the changes and which ones don't. So I probably have like eight or nine Um, podcast apps. On Get my phone. the Android SDK and an emulator. Use the emulator for that sort of thing. Yeah, that would be a smarter way to go. But with the Internet of Things devices, so many people, you know, you get something. And if you don't know what you're doing again, and I, I mean, I think I do overall, like with the cameras, I only point them outside where there's no way they can see what's going on inside the house. But I know there are microphones in there. So now you have to, another a possibility that if you don't trust, you know, the firmware, if you don't trust the devices, nefarious things can happen and i think way more of these things are coming out now that the amount of well, wait the story we talked about in the last show too the remote control for an xfinity box which was all just rf if people can figure out how to hack into that there's no device you're plugging into your network whether it's a smart light bulb a smart refrigerator you know smart we really need to put into quotes but all of these things you're adding I would guess what 98% of the people that have these devices allow them access to their main network. They don't set up a guest network. They don't set up a walled garden network. And uh, you really get what you deserve. I don't want what they deserve. Boobery wants to know what's my favorite. What? What did I miss? I don't understand. uh, He wants to know what your favorite Darren O is. Yeah, that's me. I'm my favorite Darren O. I mean, that's the only one I know so far, except for the guy in Ireland, and he's the boxer, and he can kick my ass, and maybe he should be my favorite Darren O. (laughs) He he should be, or else. Yes, or else. I tell you. Favorite Uh, podcast app. Oh, You know, I was using uh, one for a while that I really liked, which was Podcast Go, which was really, uh, you know, the free version was nice Uh, i also like podcast addict but i actually paid for the no ads version of that one so uh both of those were good but i've tried pocket casts i've tried just the google podcast app uh i've tried what do we else get on here antenna pod i've been using antenna pod because i actually don't listen to podcasts on mobile devices lately but when i was i had antenna pod on my blackberry because antenna pod is one of the android programs that 
still works on Android 4.3, which is what nice. BlackBerry will run. So it has some backwards compatibility to it. Yeah, it, the, my BlackBerry Q10 has BlackBerry OS, and it's based on a QNX kernel. It doesn't know what Linux is, but Android is uh, sort of sectioned off enough that an Android program doesn't have to actually be a Linux program, and it's it's kind of like Wine. Uh, so uh, yeah, to sim- to simplify what I thought, I'm saying, I thought an Android Blackberry program Q- was just a Java app. That uh, sorry, what was what did you say? Oh, I thought Android was just a Java app, like a jar, yeah, more or less. Yeah, but I, I think even in Android four point three, yeah. uh, you you could have non Java applications, which were Android applications. They would be like you know ARM machine code or Intel machine code. The the package had to be compiled for the CPU that you have. Anyway, my BlackBerry Q10 has what is essentially Wine for Android, and it runs Android 4.3 apps. And the whole system hasn't been updated in like 10 years, so it's never going to get any newer than that. But I can run an antenna pod on it. Good to know. For those who have those old, antiquated systems and want to listen to some podcasts, and everything just works. If you've got an old Android phone that you can actually fit in one hand, without putting a nipple on the back of it to hold it between two fingers. <laughs> then hey, I got big hands. Yeah, it does help it, after are, big hands. Are, are there phones that small today? Or or the like I think there's like specialized phones that are really small, but they cost like a thousand dollars. My my Galaxy fits in one hand, but Good. I I have big hands and I got the smaller model for that reason. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't get these the if the version can't fit easily in a my jeans pocket, uh no, I'm not gonna have a phone that's so big it's like that's getting into tablet territory and uh i don't know people use them for different reasons though i get it these are taking the place of computers i mean it's it's bizarre because samsung sells all of these accessories and we've got the s10e which was last year's model or so that they have all these accessories that you know you can even plug in a keyboard and everything else and use it like as a desktop and it's like you know, I think this is where things are going, but it's weird that that little device is like your main thing, no matter where you are. But if all you're doing is word processing stuff, sending emails and and, uh, and things like that, I guess it does what, you know, you need oh, it to you, do. You just you just made me think of trying to do word processing on a phone. And I'm sure some people use that, but I would find that to be so infuriating. Well, but I'm saying you plug I, in a keyboard and a monitor like, and it acts, you know, as a. I, I think I've said this before on the show. Maybe I haven't. Years ago, my wife was running a theater blog and she was literally using an iPhone 3GS to access WordPress on in, in the web interface to compose yeah. new blog posts. She did that several times and she was perfectly fine doing it. And I was like, how the hell do you do that? I mean, I, typing I, on the, blog, on the I, phone. She she was I, composing I, composing blog posts from scratch using an iPhone 3GS to access WordPress. But did she have uh, a, a, yeah. like a a keyboard plugged into the phone or just using nope, the phone? Nope, nope, just touching the keyboard on the screen. Wow. I I had a coworker who uh, used to write like not not short, but used to write all his emails. He did not. He refused to install Outlook on his desktop machine. So what he had was he used his phone for all of his email. And sometimes these were multi-page emails. And uh, this was back long enough ago. He didn't have a touch keyboard on the phone. It was T9. Wow, that's hardcore. Yeah. I I texted on T9. I I, uh, used IRC on T9 for a while. It was fun. Oh, that would be horrible, too. (laughs) But I didn't say very much in that mode. Yeah, I hope not. It keeps things pithy. Carpal tunnel recipe right there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't, I mean, 
these the auto finishing the words and stuff. I mean, I guess if you're addicted to the stuff and you type enough on one of these devices, you can you can get pretty I, proficient. But how, I, how long does it take to write a one page email using T9 system? I, this guy did it pretty fast, <laughs> but I don't think it was as fast as I was able to do touch typing on a full keyboard and your Dvorak <laughs> keyboard. Rebel. Oh, I, Actually, I, I have to share this. Um, the black one of the Blackberries I had before the Q10. Um, I think it was called the Blackberry. Uh, fuck, it was the, the Blackberry, the Blackberry fuck. fuck. No, I, I can't remember. Uh, that's a hell of a name. <laughs> I want one. Now. Yeah, it, it was. There was this tiny candy bar phone that had like twenty four keys. So like ev- ev- most of the keys had a single digit and two letters on them, not three letters. So it was kind of like T nine. You had to multi press keys to get what you wanted. So it was like T9, but with more buttons. And one time I was either using IRC or uh, somebody just blooped. That wasn't me. I was using IRC or I was using uh, just SMS on, on the bus. And somebody behind me was looking over my shoulder, not at what I was typing, but how fast I was typing. And he or she was just like, oh, my God, I couldn't. I can't believe you are going that fast on a phone. And uh, I. I, I wasn't sure if I should be proud or some other emotion. But the, my, my phone has a, a full keyboard and like the on screen. And I still hate typing on the damn thing because I want I, I don't I'm a touch I, typist. I, I, I want I a full doing, keyboard if I'm typing. I, I, I don't mind using reduced number of buttons. I, I would much rather. Ha- In fact, my my main phone is a Kyocera Cadence flip phone. I, I would rather have fewer buttons than have a touchscreen uh, form for inputting text. I, uh, I, hate, I hate the touch keyboards. You know, I have absolutely no information to back this up, but maybe uh, I, I wonder if there are any stats on uh, whether or not people who do two finger typing on a main keyboard are more comfortable with a phone keyboard. Cause I, I, I can yes. tell you when I'm entering text, I, I touch type, I use all of my fingers to enter text and then I get to the, the one thumb on the phone and it just feels painful. And even if I'm trying, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe do, do people who just do the you know, po- poke with one finger on the keyboard, are they perfectly fine poking with one finger on the, I, I don't know, maybe Probably. they just don't complain as much as I do. Well, here's my well, question I, though. I Ryan. can say that the, the iPhone three GS blogger, my wife uh, does good fast touch typing on a real keyboard and was comfortable writing blog posts in WordPress on a tiny touchscreen keyboard. Now your screen keyboard, Ryan Dvorak layout. No, unfortunately that's not an option on most phones. So really, well, that's, however, um, hunt and peck is uh, a totally different, uh, mental process. So, it actually doesn't interfere that the keyboard layout is different. I'm surprised on Android. You can't get the Dvorak layout. That's weird. Well, it wasn't available when I first installed the phone. Uh, you, you know, the other thing that I do, of course, is I don't install third party keyboards. And I also <laughs> turn off all the predictive text. I can see why you're grumpy. Predictive text can. sends every fucking keystroke to the cloud. And in order to try to decide what word is going to be next. So. I turn that shit off. They want to spy on you so they can help you. Don't you get it? Your overlords are benevolent. Okay. All would be overlords. If you want to spy on me, do it the way any normal person does and become a grumpy old Ben's expert. Yes, that is the way to do it. And Ryan will then 
send you the access to his video feed, which is going on 24 seven. You uh, yeah, there's so many, there's 20, so many 24 seven pussy shots. There's so much that you can get for the uh, grumpy old Ben's expert package. We do have a few experts to thank for today's show. First and foremost, our buddy in the troll room, which if you're not in the troll room, we do these shows live at noon Eastern Mondays and Fridays are the usual days. No agenda stream.com always in the troll room. Our buddy Duodenum comes in with $19 and 19 cents via Bitcoin and says, thanks for the grump. Um, so that's again, he's thanking me for bringing you, I guess, to the world yeah, or, or thanking me for bringing me. I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, you should you should bring yourself every now and then to the party. I want to hear that. Uh, whatever you said last Monday when I was a little under the weather, I, I hear there's a uh, recording of that, but I haven't heard it yet. I, I also hear that there's a recording of it and I haven't heard the recording. I'm sure you just spoke nicely of your co-host, uh, your podcast co-host. Well, I Yeah, I don't talk. I, I got at least two name drops back. on the Friday show and I couldn't believe it. That's how you know you're um, uh, I don't think that's a good place for most people to be. You want to be under you want to be under the radar. I mean, I liked in uh, No Agenda yesterday when I got the mention when Adam's like, oh, yeah, John uh, said, oh, fuck that guy. Don't you know, don't pick his art. So I would just made a joke about that on uh, No Agenda Social and Dvorak responded back with, I said, no such thing. Adam is trying to cause trouble. I'm like, I'm aware. I am aware. I'm like, I have a mischievous podcast partner as well. I get the shtick. So uh, yeah, it's, it, it's not unheard of. Um, you, you should, however, rest assured that uh, I don't talk shit about people behind their back because if I'm going to talk shit about you, it's going to be to your face because that way I can see the reaction. Yeah. And most people I think realize by now that anytime I send out a song on the no agenda rock and roll pre-shows, which are happening way before Ryan usually wakes up, when I send out dedications from him to other people, those probably aren't real. Half of no agenda happens before I wake up sometimes. <laughs> Half of this show happens before you wake up sometimes. But it's been known. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next on the list, our buddy Keith Von Dyke, who has a monthly subscription. And we appreciate that very, very much. A new monthly subscription from Brian Hall. We appreciate that. And Harry Hamster came in just as we were uh, rounding up. The last show with uh, a happy one hundred dollar. So uh, that was uh, you thought you were doing about a dollar's worth of work, Ryan. I yeah. I mean, if I have to put in that much, <laughs> I know. I mean, Harry Hamster has donated to this show more times than anybody else on the planet. So he is definitely an expert. I mean, his real name's Bob, and uh, if you're looking for him, look somewhere in Arizona where the weather is warm and the women are plentiful or so he tells us are, are you suggesting the weather isn't warm elsewhere yes and i made the mistake because it was in the 60s here in Chirac today so i opened up a couple of windows before we started the podcast and it Ooh. turns out it's like 60 with rain so now even though it's kind of cool in here i'm like sweating profusely because the humidity is probably like 98 percent uh, well, in that case, um, welcome to Washington. Please to know it is currently fifty-two degrees outside. Here. Nice, I'd like and that. And sixty-one in the room where I'm sitting here, uh, bundled up with a cat on me, because yeah, we have not started the wood stove yet. <laughs> well, that's which one's going to jump on the wood stove first? Uh, or no, they only do that once. It's yeah, seventy-two they, in the office they, here, so that's too warm. Well, that is too warm. Yeah. How is it in New Jersey, Progo? 
Uh, it's pretty good. You'll you'll notice that you haven't heard sirens, and I'm not sure. I know. I've, I've been distracted by the conversation. I'm not sure if they've gone by, but the window in my I've got one, two windows in my office. One of them is open just an inch because uh, it was definitely cool overnight. It's probably a lot warmer right now, but I am comfortable, and the window's mostly closed, and I'm not hearing sirens in my ears every two minutes. Well, yeah, the last time it was kind of like you were in a war zone. I, I mean, Darren could get out the soundboard if you're missing it. Yeah, we can. <laughs> well, no, just go on to Hog Story and then they can give you air horns and sirens and I'm in the library. Reset my password. All that kind I, of stuff. I am going to I'm going to have a soundboard the next time you guys get me on the show. I'm going to have my own soundboard and the purpose of it will be to play a uh, a fax machine trying to negotiate handshake with another fax machine. I'm going to play that as soon as you you're, you're done with your intro. Uh, Darren Progo is never going to be on the show again. Okay. We'll just, I'm putting that down in the book. No more Progo. Not a problem. Um, so what do you have coming up this week, Progo? If you're on vacation, are you just relaxing or do you have any projects you're doing? I mean, are you, do you have a couple new raspberry pies that you're setting up? Do you have anything you're working on? Uh, I got a raspberry pie that was pissing me off last night. <laughs> well, um, see why? <laughs> my, my plan for vacation is I'm going to go hiking one or two days, like Tuesday and or Wednesday and maybe Thursday. I mean, depending and how good around, you are, if you get lost, like it's going to be extra days. You're like, I'm gonna go, <laughs> go hiking. no, I, I, I don't have any camping gear. I don't have any camping skills. I'm going to go hiking, come back and sleep in my own okay. bed and then go out hiking again. Um, and well, besides that, easy mode. I, I, I hate to disappoint anyone, but um, I was thinking of, I, I was been trying to, in the past month, finish up rebuilding pint size uh, with better, um, better features and better stability and stuff and all the things that we talked about. You've been threatening to do that for four years now. Yeah, yeah pint size it, is a box. I kind of have. It's funny. But right now, like, I'm just not feeling it. And I, I decided that that is not going to be a goal for vacation. I might work on it, but. I'm not going to finish it this week and I may or you, may not be done in time for the big 10th anniversary or 12. You heard it here it first 13th feeling pint size is not going to be a goal for vacation this week. No. Yeah. No. yeah. It, it, it's, it's not bringing me joy. I don't know what else I'm going to do, but I, last night I tried yesterday all during the day. I tried, I had one simple goal. I've got a windows laptop that belongs to my employer that I have, Connected to this big ass 28 inch display that I just bought last month on my desk. And I wanted to say, okay, I'm not going to use the employer laptop to do my work during vacation because I, I, I hate Windows and I shouldn't be using Windows and I absolutely shouldn't be doing personal stuff on my employer's computer. On That's the spy machine. Idea. Right. Uh, so I have a Raspberry Pi 4 and I have a HP Stream netbook. And both of them, I tried to connect to this 28 inch display. And could not get it working to my satisfaction. So I might actually spend the entire week getting one of those computers working on the display <laughs> so that I can do my vacation tasks. So the, the big monitor doesn't have HDMI. Is that the problem? It does have HDMI. But oh, really? And the Pi doesn't I, just hook right up to that? It does. But the Pi has problems. So um, the, the default OS for the Raspberry Pi is called Raspberry Pi OS. It used to be called Raspbian. And it comes with one desktop environment. It doesn't say like which one do you want to use. It just comes with one. I think it uses the open box window manager. And I, I, I think it's like some stripped down version of the GNOME desktop. Uh, it, it's, it, it's okay. But um, this system, as it is installed on the Raspberry Pi 4, does not have any ability to set the dots per inch or 
how many pixels is 100% size text. There is no settings for that. And other desktops do have that. And furthermore, on a, a 28-inch 4K display, you want one way you might want to use it is, and I, this is how I do it on Windows, the entire left half, one, the left one half of the, dis, the desktop area that is not the taskbar is one window, and the, the right half is another window. And there, I have keyboard shortcuts on Windows for moving, making Windows like quasi full screen or half full screen. I can't figure out how to do that on the Raspberry Pi. So I've got two big problems with, uh, I can't set the text size and I can't uh, set the, the windows the way that I want them without like manually dragging the corners and, you know, it, it ends up coming out sloppy. So you're saying that Windows is better than Linux? I am not saying that. Because I, I, I can fucking reprogram Linux if I'm not happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you can't do that with the Pi? Uh, out of the box, no, I can't figure out how to get it to work. So I, this is how far I've got on the Pi. I didn't try any other operating system and uh, package it, uh, operating system distros. I did try installing LXQT desktop environment to replace the GNOME environment that Raspberry Pi gave me, and I just you know apt get install I, I apt get uh, LXQT or LXQT hyphen desktop whatever it is on Debian. I finished doing that. Wi-Fi doesn't work anymore. Interesting. So, so this, that that's this sounds it. like great after show content. No, it's yeah. great. I mean, it's well the <laughs> Wi-Fi. I mean, there. I know when uh, I, I had problems with the uh, the five gigahertz band on the Raspberry Pi four when I installed the operating system for uh, Cody. The so you could just run it as a you know television basically to stream all this stuff. And uh, so there definitely are some issues. It's just a question of finding the workaround to to get the stuff working but I mean, yeah and my my feeling right now is like i'm not really angry about it and i do not feel trapped i there there is always <laughs> there is always a solution there's always another piece of software or some code that will fix my problem i'm not really worried about it but it could take me all week and such as living with linux and the other thing that i tried was my hp stream netbook running linux mint 19 i think that does have how many pixels do you want per text character that it has all that setting built into it uh when i hook up a 4k hdmi display this is a new problem i've never seen before uh all of the displays go blank but not on the login screen if you finish logging in and plug in of the 4k display on cinnamon desktop on my computer all the displays go blank which is a bit of a problem for interacting with and solving problems but i think that's probably something i can solve as well and uh, I think fixing the Raspberry Pi is probably going to be the easiest way, and especially um, plugging in the laptop on the box next to my desk is a pain in the ass, and having the Raspberry Pi permanently installed would probably be better. But uh, that's going to be my vacation, it's setting up my environment so that I can work on personal projects. That's going to be my entire vacation. Sounds like you're going to have a nice, relaxing time. But if you want to be an expert, <laughs> make sure you go to grumpyoldbenz.com, click one of those donate buttons, subscribe to the show. And we need some reviews. So if you're on and, the, and do the work and switch over to Linux, it's a part time job. Yes. And here's the thing. If you have any questions about setting up Linux, you can find Progo at smallcomputer.us, I believe is the uh, uh, yes. Thank you. Address That's my calling card. And, and he will personally give you help setting up all your Linux boxes. He will. Or he may ask you for help setting up his Linux box. <laughs> it all depends how it goes. Somebody asks him a question. He's like, OK, yeah, I can help you with that. But do you know how to do this? Exactly. I have done. I did that this in the past week. 
I answered a question and then followed up with a question. That is part of the genius of a community like the Linux community. And you can always tell somebody that's a Linux user because they're the ones that like call you over to their laptop or their computer. And they're like, hey, look at this. I got this to work. And you're like, it looks like a computer. It's like, yeah, but it's Linux, man. And look, it's doing this. <laughs> you know, yep. the, the excitement level gets there. And it's like, should we be that? I mean, I remember the early computers and I understand the excitement, but uh, um, stuff should just work. And it doesn't. That's why we're here. That's why we do grumpy old Ben's. So it gives us a chance to be a little grumpy and to vent on all of this stuff. But we appreciate everybody that's hanging out with us live in the troll room at noagendastream.com again, noon Eastern time, Mondays and Fridays. And we definitely appreciate you coming along. Progo, AKA Brendan Kidwell, AKA whatever the, uh, whatever the FBI has up on the most wanted poster for you. But uh, you're, it's you're always under- fun when I join this show. I love it. It is because you can give Sir Bemrose a run for the rant. There's no question about it. And I like to just sit back and relax and listen, drink a little coffee and not have to worry about anything. So you're welcome back anytime. And, uh, you know, if Ryan ever gets lost in the woods out there on the left coast, we may need a replacement. But with that said, we'll be back on Friday to do this thing all over again. But I am Darren O'Neill. Coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where even as bad as things could get, our mayor isn't Jay fucking Inslee. And from America's left coast, where I have to talk to my apps because nobody else will listen. I'm Ryan Bemrose. Wait, I thought your apps had to talk to you because nobody else will listen. (laughs) 